Welcome to the Mad Men Happy Hour, the officially unofficial podcast for Mad Men on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 7, Episode 12, entitled Lost Horizon. Not Last Horizon, although it may be Don's Last Horizon, I don't know. What did you think of this episode? I I liked it. It it made me think a lot. It made me feel a lot. It was extremely uncomfortable, which I think was the point of watching it. Um, Almost unbearably so, but I feel like they added just enough at the end with the organ... And the roller derby and Peggy blowing the doors off Eric and Eric's, what is it, McCann Erickson? Yeah. With the fisherman's wife's dream and the cigarette and the sunglasses that gave it a little bit of, uh, a little bit of light, a little bit of light to, to, to reduce the leaven. What'd you think? Uh, yeah. So those moments that everybody's like all gung ho about, I'm a little like, eh, about. Okay. Um, like that, that Peggy thing, like, she has one conversation with Roger, and boom, she's a new person. I know she'll probably go come back down out of the clouds at some point, and I get that that's kind of just her moment to think that she's amazing. And I mostly like it, but it felt a little like over the top and uh, not not quite earned hmm. during this episode. I, I don't know. First of all, I would believe that a night on a bender with Roger <laughs> could do that to a person. It's it's like when Rick handed Carl his sheriff's hat, just a massive swagger transfer. Sure, sure. Uh, but, I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But I looked at it two ways because I had this similar thought. One is, real-life McCann Erickson, eventually someone like Peggy becomes a creative director and an mm-hmm. and, and a executive officer of the company. Mm-hmm. So they have to get from there to here, from here to there, this might be the first step, especially Roger when he's like taken aback when she goes, you got to make the men comfortable. He's like, who the hell told you that? Um, which again, as a man, I'm not sure if that's sound advice or not. Okay. I don't know, but I also, I was kind of surprised with McCann Erickson being a real life firm. Like this must be really uncomfortable for them. Yeah, uh, potentially. Sure. I mean, I I don't know how based in real life. Uh, you know, we had the gentleman that wrote us in two weeks ago talking about being currently there at McCann Erickson. It sounds awesome, but mm-hmm. and I feel like that they might have been like, "Woohoo, we're getting Mad Men love," and then this episode happens, <laughs> and the Black yeah. Irish thuggery was on full display. It's uh, it, you know, it's a different era. I'm sure. Like any anything that comes up in Mad Men is not going to reflect on present day McCann in quite I, the same way. I don't think people work that way. I, really? I think you want Like, them. you hear the same name, and you're like, oh, yeah, 50 years ago, it's basically the same today. I don't know. I don't think you think that way. I do think there's a lot of people that do feel that way. Hmm. And I, again, okay. I, I don't know that it's going to cost them business or anything, but, you know, I think about how squeamish companies were for Breaking Bad to be to feature stuff in their restaurant at times, you know? And then some were, like, catering. I feel like that they're... An advertising yeah. company would be... I'm just saying that I feel like it might be uncomfortable for them when something like this drops. Maybe, maybe. I, I don't know. I don't feel any ill will toward McCann current day uh, based off of some TV show sure. made about them. Sure. But it's uh, just something, years ago. it's an idle thought I was wondering about, okay. like, you know, what it's like on a Monday morning at McCann Erickson when 
Yeah, yeah. You just gotta uh, see when Mad Ferg and Hobarth night. come, and yeah. <laughs> sure. Uh, okay, who made this episode? Uh, this was directed by Phil Abraham, who also directed last uh, half season's The Strategy. That's the okay. one where Bob proposed to Joan. Yep. And got shut down. And he's directed <laughs> overall 15 episodes of Mad Men. So he's a familiar face. Also directed two episodes of Netflix's Fantastic Daredevil. Oh, cool. Which I was in, interested to see, like, totally radically different, uh, you know, takes on subject matter. And mm-hmm. he got his directorial debut directing an episode of The Sopranos, where he was mm-hmm. credited as the DP for over 47 episodes. So clearly, that is the Wiener connection. Yeah. Not in the Chicago like style sense of the yeah. word, uh-huh. but in... <laughs> yeah. Um, it was written by Simi Chellis uh, and Matthew Weiner. Uh, Simi is, has co-written two episodes of season five of Mad Men with Matthew Weiner. Both of those episodes, Far Away Places and The Other Women, were nominated for a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Writing. And she actually won a WGA Award for The Other Woman. And that's the one where Don got down on one knee and kissed Peggy's hand when he realized mm. that she could not be talked out of leaving her him for Teddy Chaga Gaga at CGC, uh, uh, which that's a great episode. And uh, I, I like it that I feel like that Matt Weiner is smart enough to bring in female writers to help him with stuff like this because it's a good idea. What yeah. would this episode be like if it was written, directed, and conceived of a bunch of dudes, an older dudes at that? Probably different. Probably I, not. I, and I imagine, like, I, I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of influence from a lot of different people sure. here, and it, it shows. But I think you know, just judging from the Facebook feed uh, or Facebook feed, the Facebook feed, what I've gotten through feedback, the forums, I, I feel like this episode did a really good job of showing what it's like to be co- you know this this stuff. We, we talk a lot about like you know Pete being rapey and all that. What do we mean? Like it's what mm-hmm. you consider a coercive relationship. Yeah, like. You know, we'll talk about this as we go, but at what point would Joan, should Joan have objected to Ferg's advances? At what point was it reasonable professionalism and him being kind and him being pervy and disgust? And that's the problem, mm-hmm. especially when you choose wrong and you fuck up your career. Yeah. So I think it did a great job for to have people think about that. And also the fact that, uh, yeah, we made a lot of progress in like the 45 years since, but a lot of that stuff goes down exactly the way it does today sure so yeah and i'm sure as we go through this uh recap we'll talk a lot more about it why don't we get into that uh i also have an exciting gilmore girls update okay <laughs> i mentioned my love for the the show uh-huh. last episode and i had a whole bunch of people recommend this podcast called return of the S- to stars hollow and then just this morning one of the co-hosts reached out listening to our podcast and wanted me on to guest host a podcast about the Gilmore Girls, and I graciously accepted. I am so excited. Wow. Uh, so be yeah. on the lookout for that, because I, be, I will be pimping that with uh-huh. every ounce of ball move power. Yep, I'm, I'm going to be right on that one, sure. <laughs> well, I also committed you to like a five-episode run. Oh, yeah? Okay, good. Yeah. And they're yeah. like on episode. I think they're in episode, they're season three, so you've only got like 44 episodes to catch up on. No, no big deal. Okay. Sounds good. I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. Uh, all right, let's get into the recap. We yes. start off with Don arriving at his new-to-us McCann office. It doesn't appear to be totally new to him, but it is relatively new. Um, and Meredith gets him kind of settled in here for the day, R- updates him on the stuff he has to do and all that stuff. Um, I, I don't know. I felt like Meredith had a bit of a, an attitude, which I liked hmm. in, in this scene. I think that she 
heard us talking last week about who is the best secretary and was submitting. This was her Secretary yeah. Emmy Award nomination because mm-hmm. she's just fantastic. Yeah. What else can you ask from a secretary than to d- design your apartment for you? Like, no, she's going. That's into, more than a secretary should do. She's going into like butler territory, like yeah. a personal interior servant designer in, in the the best sense of the word. It's it's amazing the the professional service that she's providing Don here. Sure. Uh, keeping track of his social security cards, his ring is cash. Did you think that envelope was kind of significant? The reminder of Don Draper's, or I guess Dick Whitman's artificiality and, and his... Uh... Yeah, I think so. Uh, and that, that ring being in there, um, which we know is the one that both, you know, he, most recently he got back from Megan. Yep. Um, but it all kind of started when he got it from Anna mm-hmm. Draper. Mm-hmm. Uh, that thing is significant to him. And seeing that at the beginning of an episode where he kind of uh, takes off, goes goes his own way here, I think is significant. I feel like Simi Chellis, the lady that co-wrote this, she wrote like 90% episode and the wiener just flew in to do some troll face. Okay. Uh, because I, there's a lot of stuff in here where I feel like this is for everyone on Reddit and everyone on forums and everywhere that's theorizing about Don Draper's future oh that he is he is he is winking and middle fingering all of us uh and there's like four different occasions this is the first one like oh look at this don draper social security cards sure start start, start up the spoiler engine start up this theorizing engine and you might also read into what he does right after this which is they, go up to that window which is whistling and yeah kind of feel it yeah, try to press it sure, in see yeah. if you can get the whistling to stop yeah or may, maybe just bust the window out mm. and jump out into the sure no, he's totally yeah. totally troll faced I, I have another take on that, but I'm going to save it until a later really? scene. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, one one that I think is pretty interesting to consider. Anyway, um, we go to SC&P, and the office is being completely gutted while Roger and Harry kind of verbally spar. You know, they talk about the computers and data management, Harry's hat size, sure, which is getting ever larger, uh, and how they're never going to be bunkmates. <laughs> right. <laughs> man, man, I... I don't know. I like to see these two guys go at it. Right. It's funny. Roger has no respect for him. Harry doesn't care. Right. Like I, I don't know. Their interactions are really good. It's also great since you get to you get the idea of the scale of McCann because you know you look at SCNP's operation with the computers and it's just essentially mm-hmm. Harry and maybe a data processor or two and they've got like twenty people and he says it's like mission control and. We found out Don is on the 19th floor and Roger's on the 26th floor and, mm-hmm. and Harry's on the 24th floor. So that implies that they've at least got seven floors to SCNPs two and a Time Life building. They're just, you know, like like people have said, this is on a scale that none of these people have had experience with before and can scarcely imagine. Yeah, no. And I don't think they even understand it at all. I mean, when Don walks into that meeting later... And only half of the creative directors are there, but it's a full house. Sure, sure. He's like, wow, okay. And you you talk about them dismantling. These people are animals. They're putting (laughs) cigarettes on the floor. Harry, yeah, Harry stamps the cigarettes. They're taking upper deckers in the toilets. Uh I mean, Peggy's throwing... I mean, it's just... It's crazy. It is. People have to move in here, you know? Like, when you later see this office after turning the lights, it looks like a set from The Walking Dead. There's like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wires ripped out of the ceiling and uh, it's crazy it's crazy i can't wait to see i wonder what the next tenant thinks yeah um th- there's also a moment here where shirley comes up and gives roger some news that she won't be going to mccann because uh, she's found a new job 
you know, and she says, you know, advertising is not a comfortable place for everyone. And how. Yeah. And then and Roger seems to get the point. Then she <laughs> sasses herself right out the door, never to be seen again. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was pretty awesome. So McCann Erickson, uh, not only sexist, but racist as well. I think we that's can, implied. We can assume, yeah. I think that's, the, that's implied, that if it's uh, this hard for Joan and Peggy <laughs> to get through it, my God, poor Shirley. Yeah. She yeah. doesn't have time for this shit. Nope. She can go sell people trips to Bermuda, which is everything that SCNP has always said it would be. Kind of. Maybe she can sell Dawn on one. Uh, it kind of makes me wonder what Dawn is going to do. It's a good question. Did she move over? Did she leave? We haven't seen anything from her since the, the merger here. The and she was worried about the redundancy of her office manager. I doubt we see Dawn again. Yeah. I think I, I'm going to uh, pin my dreams onto Shirley with her and say that she, she followed suit and got uh, okay. a job she's well qualified for at a company who is doesn't have their head fully up their ass like mccann erickson and she's gonna do fine all right i think we've seen the last of shirley yeah i i do believe so she's gone Mo- most of the secretaries i think the only ones we're really gonna see are uh what is it beverly is jones new secretary and then meredith I yeah don't, meredith I don't... you got uh it's not marsh it's what is it not Mar- who's peggy's uh secretary i don't and then know. rogers um i don't know her name i don't know yeah. either does that yeah I got uh, a Rogers down was somewhere. Caroline was was it was the older lady's name? Yeah, okay. I, I think. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, do you think he would have? Did he offer to fire Caroline if it would keep Shirley? Yeah, she, he said she she hated or he hated her anyway. So <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Anyway, a couple of female copywriters show up at Jones' new office in McCann, and they're looking to score some brownie points and and kind of weasel their way in on. Who they think are Jones' clients, mm-hmm. but in actuality, those are Peggy's clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, I, Avon is is exclu- like Joan feels real ownership over that. Yeah, yeah, they're just in it, and you know, the whole as soon as they came in, I was like, uh oh, because they're talking about you know their role as as hawking feminine products. If it's mm-hmm. in it, near it, or makes you think of it, we're on it. Uh, but then they talk about Peggy and they're also like, I thought it was interesting how they're like openly, like I told you, I told you she'd be this way. And then offering Peggy their crumbs. Like this is starting to feel like this is not going to be a hero's welcome for the ladies. Yeah. I, but it gives Joan the glimpse of, I don't know. Cause I feel like there's a dual purpose here. Like they want to get onto Joan's team because they're tired of the sexual harassment coming from their superiors. Right. In this organization, I I don't know if they're. I'm sure they're tired. I'm sure they're tired of it. And there's also the hint of the ladies' club bitch session. Yeah. Um. So that's how I read it, which is part of the impetus for Joan to try this. Um. You know, not not blackmail, but this threat of lawsuit mm-hmm. on Jim Hobart when he doesn't want to help her out. Sure. And he's like, she knows that she'll probably have some some help i would think so although they said we're not women's lib and we're not consciousness raising anything like that but you got to think that yeah there'd be a sympathetic ear there and also you know jim saying oh our ladies love us i don't buy a fucking word he says no about anything female no i mean eve like <laughs> no absolutely not he doesn't respect them he doesn't care he's no he's terrible he might as well say our furniture loves us because that's oh i think how he sees this and i think it goes farther i think that jim hobart is resentful of 
a woman even being allowed into the workplace. Seems like it. On, on any kind of respected level. Right. Because, you know, the line he says later on um, when Joan's negotiating, he's like, I'd rather give it to a lawyer. Oh, yeah. That's a hateful line. That's sure. not just your run-of-the-mill, you know. It's essentially saying, I'd rather set this thing on fire and burn it than give it to you. Exactly, yeah. And that's the crazy thing is, arguably, McCann Erickson is sexist, more sexist, than Sterling Koo was back in 60, 1960. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to say because Sterling Koo was pretty damn sexist. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it was kind of breathtaking to see McCann Erickson this this far into the neolithic era yeah it doesn't feel like there's anybody good at mccann doesn't no no <laughs> like there's there's no don there's no guy who's at least respectful yeah of women like he might and, do the and wrong doesn't look down on them he might do the wrong thing but you know he's he has thought about the matter you know and he's okay he's been the little guy like these i i don't know what these guys backgrounds are but these guys cl- very clearly have never thought about the little guy or anybody in a sure one down position from them yeah i mean like even then it's like that's so hilarious in retrospect what it must be like for ken to be fired by ferg because everything that he said about this guy like okay maybe there was some irish racism thrown into it but it does seem like every bit of what ken was bitching about was justified yeah this is a terrible place to work for if you have any kind of soul or conscious yeah and you know that's part of what drives don away in this episode sure Anyway, Peggy shows up at SCNP with a box of her stuff because apparently her office is not ready over at McCann. And Ed, who isn't going to McCann, who's apparently been fired but working out the rest of the week, yeah. is relaxing in her office, but Peggy puts him to work instead. Yeah, deputized as her secretary. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. With mixed results. No, they're not mixed. They're just all <laughs> negative. <Yeah. laughs> He's taking this opportunity to just kick back and sure. enjoy the week of pay with no work. Why not? Make some phone calls. What are they going to do? Fire him? I guess. What are they going to do? Fire him? Yeah, exactly. Uh, So Don gets the red carpet treatment from Ferg and Jim, like, big time. They are uh, all but down on their knees sucking him off when uh, they they tell him that Miller Beer is coming in to uh, meet people. And they say, hey, uh, why don't don't you use our name? Why don't you use our name? Like, right now in this room, why don't you use it with your name? Like, very creepy. Why we masturbate in the corner. don't yeah. make eye contact with this. Don't make eye contact. This scene just felt so desperate. Yeah. And they were just it like, was also an interesting touch with the wiener doing a dramatic heroic zoom in on Don when he said it. You know, that's the thing. I, I'm like a low like, camera angle zoom in, you know, the pull to zoom in as he's saying it. Like we are seeing this from Jim who has chased Don Draper for low these many years. Oh, yeah. This is a season one plot come to roost. And he's just like, he's got this Fabergé egg, and it's on his his bookshelf, and it's like, ah, it's complete. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not familiar with advertising in the 70s or whatever. Mm. I know McCann is a big name, and they make a point sure. of that on the show. I wonder if this is in any way supposed to be uh, the audience's chance to go, aha, Don is at this great company now, and mm-hmm. they've got Don, and he's amazing, and look at the amazing things they're going to do together. If if there's supposed to be a moment of like relishing the fact that Don mm. is at McCann, I think there's a little bit of that judo where, like, if you know how amazing McCann was in that era, yeah, you might be getting goosebumps a little bit. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And also, it's like he—it's very much a hero's welcome that he gets from you know oh, yeah. the way the music is playing, all jazzy, not beating the elevator. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but also again the scale, like we've seen. Sterling Cooper and its various configurations of SCDP and SC and P 
scrape and scrap and fight for every client. This guy just buys a whole advertising firm in Milwaukee to get Miller. Like, yeah. It's kind of amazing in retrospect that Roger and Bert and Don and Pete and the rest were able to steal Buick from these guys mm-hmm. and to just like peel off stuff. I mean, it's it's really amazing. I mean, obviously, guys like, you know, it's like, oh, the poor guy from Avon is such a hilariously bad fit for this firm. But it's amazing that they're able to compete so well on top tier, you know, labels. Yeah, no, I think so. And it's. A lot of that is on Don's back, right? Like he's the guy, and everybody knows it. Sure. Um, we'll we'll talk more about like Roger's role in this whole thing because I think that's super interesting. Yeah. Later on. Anyway, we go to Joan. Who, oh, wait a second. Yeah. What do you think about Ferg's imitation of Don? It's oh my god. He's ju- I feel like he's not serious, right? His impression is just a version of Richard Nixon. He does uh-huh. everyone as a version of Richard Nixon. Probably. Yeah, what, was, what's your impression of Peggy? <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not a copy sucker. I, I, I'm not a secretary. I mean, get the fuck Where's out of here. Office? And I do a better Nixon than this guy does, which is not saying much. This They're <laughs> the worst. Absolutely worst. And Don I makes a face at this guy like the like a Robert De Niro, like, the fuck this guy talking about? He's, he's making that face the whole time. This and, whole And they're meeting. oblivious to it. Yeah. Oh, my God, these guys. Too blinded by their their moment of triumph here. You know? uh, they think they got everything they want. Well, it's hard to see with your head up your ass. It's just all moist and black. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Joan's on a call with Barry from Avon, and Dennis just completely ruins it. He hasn't read the brief. He Uh. invites a guy in a wheelchair to a round of golf. Uh, Joan calls him out on it, and he gets all sexist on her and walks out the door. You know, uh, who told you you were entitled to an opinion sort of thing? I thought you were going to be fun. Jesus, man. Yeah. Girl like you with Hooters? Supposed to be fun. Yeah, God, yeah, he thought he'd go in there and charm her and have a good time and probably score and like and she giggle and laugh and bat her eyes. Just the idea that he would assume that walking into that room is I don't know, maybe he got the impression during their last meeting that since she didn't stand up and slap him across the face, which he so deserved, mm-hmm. that maybe she was going to be okay or would or at least play along with it no that's the problem with sexism in general it is a coercive disgusting thing that if a woman rebels yeah. against the def- it's, well she's a bitch sure she's a fucking and, bitch she's got no sense of humor and you know i mean she she tries to to do the thing she should do which is go over this guy's head call him out on his bullshit work through the chain of command the problem is the whole fucking chain is rotten right the yeah. whole thing top to bottom yeah and What's- what do you do and uh, we you know we were worried about this going into mccann Last episode, we were like, Joan is really in a hard spot here. I she's just got did. a contract keeping her there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's going to have to give up something if she wants to get out of this environment, and no. that's probably what it's going to be like. To- and I was worried, but I had no idea it was going to be this bad, honestly. And so immediate, right? Like, I thought, oh, maybe they'll give it an episode or two to to really sit. But I-, I thought it was going to nope. be more than the, the benign neglect or, like, the patting on the head. Yeah. I didn't expect this active assault. I mean, I guess I expected it from this guy because we've seen... But from everyone. And how, yeah. the he- how the hell is this guy an account man? Because, like... <laughs> What he did, this this yeah. this Avon shit, and of course, of course he'd be a member at Augusta, right? Sure. Uh, the, at the time, racist and still sexist organization. Um, I, I, it's, it's boggles my mind that he could be this bad of an accounts man. But when you see the GM sure. executives and the big, like you, you, I would think that the Coca-Cola guys are probably the same, like the big yeah. impenetrable institutions of advertising power, they probably all kind of carry along like this in this 
era. Seems like it. Yeah, and and he was very uninterested in anything that he considers the women's clients. Right. Um, so maybe McCann traditionally doesn't deal with them. And that, sure. that was part of why they brought them in, uh, SC&P, because they wanted some new clients. You right. Know? Uh, they're just not prepared to keep them. Right. I thought, I thought, it would, I thought the way we were going is that this guy was like, you know, fuck off, just do it yourself, and she's like, fine, and she would just build quietly her own empire in. Um, but ironically, doing the right thing, which was continue to put the grievances up the chain of command, just completely backfired into her face every single time she did it. Yeah, getting progressively yeah. worse and worse. It's it's terrible. Indeed. Peggy's new secretary drops by her house to tell her that McCann mistook her for a secretary. It's Marsha. Marsha? Marsha, Marsha, yeah. Okay. Uh, and that she can go work in the writer's pool until she, her office is ready. And also, that's, that's good, you right? got flowers like all the other secretaries. Yeah, that's the thing. They So was the mix-up that they thought she was a secretary and so didn't prepare an office for her? I think so. Yeah, that's the okay. implication. Not just the flowers. It's right. also because they the had office. a spot in a bull, bull in the bullpen, yeah. secretary bullpen, ready for her. Yeah. So I like that. And Peggy I, I also it might have been intentional. It could have because let's just see if we can push her down the ranks a little and see if she fights back. Yeah, like I said, I've I've never been through a merger, but I have seen where like vice presidents from other companies come to work in a competitor and there is a lot of mind games that are played you know yeah. as far as assimilating them it's like oh we'll roll out we're out the the red carpet for don and for pete and for harry but these people you know it'd just be this it, it, it'd be all the same if they just quit so yeah. let's do a couple of things that again what is peggy going to say is she going to come up there and go full nuclear that they don't have her office ready and that they're disrespecting her as a sec what does that get her? She looks like a bitch to all the secretaries. They can always say, hey, it's a harmless mistake. What the hell's wrong with this? You know, she's, just, she's acting crazy. It's a no-win sure. situation. Yeah, it seems like several people are in a no-win situation here. Yes. Uh, mostly females. Uh, Joan runs into Don in the elevator, and he makes her feel a little bit better uh, about her day, you, you know, just by being your standard charming Don uh, and get, playing her a compliment. You know, mm. g- giving her the respect that these McCann people are denying her. Sure. And she's like, uh, I, I, what, what does she say exactly? Like, I'm going to take care of it. And he's like, I bet, I know you will. I, I have no whatever. doubt. Yeah. yeah. And it's cute scene and it's like vintage Don and Joan. And yeah. it's definitely, it seems like the axe has been buried between these two. I think so. I think so. It's, it makes it a lot easier when they come to this organization and he's the only guy who respects her there. Right. I mean, that, well, that's yeah, got to be part of Pete, it. But sure, yeah, sure. I, I guess Pete does. Yeah, Pete's not, you know, too can bad I, this episode. Can we go back to the other scene because there's this like yeah. little moment um, where Peggy's watching television at home, and we've often like done research on that and seen uh, what the whiner is trying to tell us. The wiener, rather, is trying to tell us about the television show. I found out that this is a show called McLeod, which is about a Texas marshal. No, no, I'm sorry. Just a federal marshal from New Mexico. So you got a little bit of Raylan Givens justified vibe who's taking a temporary assignment in New York City police. And his boss never takes him seriously, even though he's got this like keen analytic, uh, analytic mind that like blows the cases wide open because they don't take him serious because of his background. And eventually mm-hmm. he wins. Uh, this is like at, uh, it's, it's right from the IMDb description. Uh, it enables him to keep nabbing unsuspecting criminals despite his unbelieving boss. Is that a hint that Peggy is going to be able to come in here and conquer? 
despite everything yeah. stacked up against her. Yeah, she's going to totally be the that. marshal from, you know, New Mexico, kicking in the doors with her pl- self. Is it worth her carpet munching octopus and and rule this place? It seems like it. All right, especially when you you know you say history shows us that there's going to be a female account executive who's very good at McCann, uh, rises through the ranks. Yeah, that's totally Peggy. All right. So, Jonah, I, I don't know. Did you want to say anything else about this elevator scene? No, not really. Except for everything felt a little... I mean, everything is nice and nice, nicey-nicey, but everything was also kind of... Half-hearted is not the right word, but kind of like, you know, if you run into an old friend from high school and you're like, hey, we should get together. Yeah, we should, but you don't really set a date. And you kind of both know mm. that, like, yeah, this isn't going to happen. I felt like there was a little bit of that... Again, it's not quite fair to say it's bittersweet. I'm not sure exactly what that emotion is, but uh, it's two hmm. non-romantic ships passing in the broad daylight. I don't know what the hell. <laughs> okay. Did you get any of that? Uh, that my not re- quite. I felt like this was, you know, a, a hint at their past and how they've always kind of danced around something between hmm. them. Um, they've always, you know, just had this amazing chemistry, but... Uh, it never happened, and when she invites him out to lunch here, he says, soon. Mm-hmm. Probably never going to happen that we're yeah. going to see. So uh, I, I kind of felt like it was that. Also, the other thing about the kind of assholery of McCann Erickson is they very deliberately seem to split everyone from SC&P on different floors. Hmm. Divide yeah. and conquer. I guess so. Meredith comes into Don's office with a binder full of designs for his new apartment, and he picks one, and then she tells him he's having lunch with Miller Beer. Mm-hmm. And is roast beef okay? Sure, why not? Uh, I <laughs> it must be nice to have someone just you know designing your whole house for you. Sure, like, here point to a picture you like, on the and other that's hand, what it will look like when you get there. On the other hand, it is Meredith, and like, oh, I, you think she can't deliver? I I just wonder. Okay. I just wonder whether it's going to look like Sally's bedroom from his old apartment. The whole thing, <laughs> like. You know, like when Homer Simpson uh-huh. tried to build the barbecue, and it's like, why doesn't this look like the picture? I, <laughs> I just wonder. But on the other Man. hand, she was a military brat, so she had a different house every year. Yeah. She's had, you know, hard-won practical experience, but uh, point to the contrary, she's a dingbat. So... <laughs> she is. I... I wonder if she's not like she's super detail oriented. No, like, that's I mean the she's thing. really soldiered up this episode. Yeah. I'm giving her full props for that, but I also think this is still Meredith, man. She is a little. Hmm. She sees the world a little differently. I think you're right about that. <laughs> I just hope that doesn't leak into Don's apartment. Um, yeah, we got two episodes left. We've you know, okay. We could have a full on Don dump situation. Who knows? Good. Joan asks Ferg to remove Dennis from the Avon account. And he promises to help. And Jonah's pleased. You know, everything looks like it's going to be resolved here. You got Pete giving Jonah a compliment. She's like, ah, oh, how nice it is to be taken seriously. Yeah. She she went to the right person, right? But I'm like, uh-oh. Again. My you know, at this point, was, I was, was thinking tingling. maybe. Maybe there's going to be some light at the end of the tunnel for Joan here. I just, the, the whole time, <laughs> I was remembering everything Ken had said about these guys. Yeah. And I think... Like Ken used to be one of the worst of the douchebag, the office douches of the the Harry Crane and yeah. all those guys. But he's he has uh, his eyes have been open. He's been a man of enlightened enlightenment since he got married. And yeah, like I I think he's a pretty good judge of what's scummy and what's not. And he was calling scumbag on this whole organization. So I was scared. Sure, 
And, you know, he calls Scumbag on Pete, too, and Pete seems to fit right in That's here. right. That's, Pete's right at home. He's a vice I'm, president. He's loving it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> Pete is really it's, thriving here. Yeah, it makes, vice, mm-hmm. makes you think about what kind of guy uh, would thrive in that location, and that seems to be Pete. I think, you know, somebody, I, uh, maybe it was Seppenwall, said about Pete being a social chameleon, and he's definitely that. Like, Pete has multiple gears, and... He's able to shift up and down to kind of meet who he's talking with, and that's kind of the key to his success. The only one mm-hmm. he really couldn't hang with was the guys in Detroit. Oh, know, yeah. He's a Manhattanite, never driven a car. That's 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 a that's a tough one. Yep. But I wonder if if Pete had gotten in with a group of good guys, and you know, clearly, you know, say what you will about Roger and Don and all that, but they're not good guys in the way that I'm talking about. I wonder if he would have chameleoned himself into being a respectable person. Hmm. Interesting. There's an alternate universe so. where fresh-faced Pete Campbell shows up, is shown, is shown the ropes by a, a a less damaged version of Don Draper, marries Allison Brie, and is a remarkably awesome human being. I think so. That is not that version. <laughs> this is not that version. No. Although, you know, for as disgusting as Pete is at most times, he's. I don't think he would be down if they started uh, being overtly racist or even overtly sexist. Like, I'm not sure that he understands what kind of organization he's in yet. Sure. He's just thriving because he's a good accounts man, and they respect him because he's a man. It would be interesting to see what he would do the first time someone made a racist joke, which might have been like 15 minutes on his first day. Uh, I would would love to be there because he – you know, we talked about that even this season. Shouting. That does seem uh-huh. like a genuine aspect of his character, that he just gen- – he, he is – he cannot believe that there is still this feeling of hierarchies of human beings, and it bothers him. Yeah, whereas I don't think it bothers Harry one bit. No, they, no. <laughs> Harry's down on the 14th floor. There's all kinds of disgusting things going on Probably. down there. Probably. The, the least of which is the White Castle eating. <laughs> uh, so Peggy Their arrives. frame runs on – pure just you shovel sliders in by the Ugh. shovelful do they have a computer at mccann he said it's like mission control so i'm assuming they have does like, he mean it like a people computer like or or is he talking about all are we these? talking about something from dune do you have a mintat no, no i do not think they have a mintat no i mean he he talks about how many people are there like that's the thing about a computer. When you have a computer, you don't need that many people, like collating stats and all this stuff. Well, it can do that for you, like analyzing patterns in the stats. Maybe. No, nah, I think that uh, my when he says mission control, what does mission control in the '60s look like? It's fucking Apollo 13. You know, it's Ed Harris okay. in his white vest with blinky lights and tapes going reel to reel. Yeah, and yeah, that's duct taping hoses together. There you go. Trying to save the ship. Anything to sell hose. If you got a duct tape. <laughs> oh, those kind of hose. Okay. <laughs> if you got if you got to duct tape that topaz together, then you do it, <laughs> god damn it. Yep. This is our finest hour. Anyway, Pete or sorry, not Pete. Peggy arrives at SCNP and Ed's on the phone. He's speaking Japanese. He's long distance calling people. Was it Japanese for real? I, I thought it was Russian. It sounds Japanese to me, but I don't know. Ed doesn't have uh the necessary accent. To pull off either of those languages. All right. Anyway, he's prepared. Esperanto. Okay. He's talking to William Shatner. <laughs> uh, he's prepared a Dow ad that uh-huh. is firmly anti-war, and Peggy says, no, no, this isn't going to do it, and tells him to redo it, and he quits. Which, as he should. Yeah. I'm not going to work for Dow. I don't work here anymore. I like Ed 20% more after this scene, because yeah. Peggy is being a complete asshole. 
Like dumping a project on someone who's its last you uh-huh. And under this circumstances, you can't expect people to give a shit. You really can't. Absolutely, but it shows it, it does it does a couple of things. It makes us like Ed a little bit more. Because he's also but very also, generous about it. He's not like yeah, he didn't do the work, but he's not really a dick. And then he's kind of genuine about It strikes me as something Stan would do, yeah. And Stan's a cool guy. Yeah, if Stan were getting fired, of course he'd do an anti-war campaign. Sure. That's a joke. Uh, but but the other thing it also does is shows us how uptight Peggy is before this meeting with Roger. It really is, yeah. And, you know, that's a pattern we've seen in her, certainly. Sure. And that's part of the reason why I don't think a single conversation and drinking session with Roger would change you significantly for more than, like, a week to a day. Hmm. Or a day to a week. I don't know. I can't imagine that Peggy is suddenly a different person. She didn't take LSD. She was just drinking vermouth. Come on. Right. No, I've it's it's true. But I, we've seen her in this position where she's flying high thinking she's going to have an assignment in Paris. And then she's in a she's hotel in Cleveland dogs watching hump. dogs hump. So uh-huh. I, we've seen her like the, the roller coaster ride that is Peggy Olsen. So you're saying she gets to the end of that hall. She turns the corner and then it's Ferg, runs right into Ferg. Ferg humping. Hobarth or whatever, sure. No, for humping Don, probably. Oh, well. That's yeah, what he would want to do. It's moving up in the world. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I don't know. They make a couple of points in this episode where uh, th- that the advertising game is kind of a mercenary type thing. Sure. I mean, Roger says it later on. Peggy here is is basically saying, it. you know, the the you switch companies, you switch loyalties on the drop of a hat, basically. Um, and it's, it's a tough thing for her to get her head around really. Cause she's, I feel like she is loyal to the people who are loyal to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that is few and far between in the advertising world. Sure. And we kind of, we kind of get an idea of why SCNP is special. Mm-hmm. You know, that we, they have a different set of values. Uh, they do. They do. And they're not, you know, again, you can't really judge them by modern standards, but you then you see the sharp relief between them and McCann Erickson, and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, this is a... And they've not always done it for the right reasons, uh, but they do do kind of th- things that are mostly right. I think so, yeah. I mean, they had a couple of big female promotions, right? If we're talking about the sexism thing... I think that was almost completely absent in SCMP. Right. I think that was a much more tolerant, both racially and gender-wise, uh, environment. And they embraced equal opportunity as far as employing uh, mm-hmm. different races, and it was kind of cynically. And the At way first, it was yeah, and that was, part, was partially Bert, right? He was the guy who really wasn't on board with that. Sure. I think, I think obviously Pete was. Bert might have actually been a slave owner. In, He's in, probably in, old in, enough. In yeah. the 1840s, he, so. he had a plant. One of the the Cooper family had a plantation mm-hmm. in Georgia. It, it's it's possible. It's possible. Probably, yeah. It's likely. But, yeah. Uh. Anyway, she does get a, a phone call from Stan here, who doesn't have a phone yet, but is trying to get a hold of her. And I thought that was a nice touch. You know, it, it gives us an idea that maybe they're going to stay in touch um, across floors here. Hmm. I assume they're not on the same floor, but I don't know why. Who are we talking she's about? She's higher up. Peggy and Stan. You know, they have their little game of. of oh, did he, we find out that he's actually on a, a floor this episode? Well, he's definitely got an office over there. Yeah. How did I miss that? She calls. Well, Ed. Ed is sitting at the table, and he's like, "Oh yeah, Stan called. Oh, he that's said right. He doesn't have a phone yet, but that's right. Okay, whatever. yeah, you're right. You're right. So he's over there. Okay. 
Uh, Don arrives at the conference room for the Miller meeting, and it's stuffed full of creative directors, which is only half of the creative directors at McCann. And then a consultant delivers this very Don-like pitch on... Uh, what What is it? It's a Miller Lite. Oh, yeah, yeah, the Miller... The diet beer. The That's diet what it beer. was. Yeah, the low-calorie beer. Tubs Tubs, beer. as Don calls it. Uh, I, I, but but Don just completely blanks out. He's staring out the window at a plane. And you know the other thing is, yeah, we, we everyone says he's Don Drapering, but he's not as good as Don Draper. He laughed a little too hard at his own jokes. His face is a he death did. mask. He's he doesn't <laughs> have the soulful eyes that can make like he. This man could not make the carousel speech. No, Pro- he can't. Probably not. No, no, he cannot. There's no probably about it. And then again, Trollface <laughs> Wiener shows up because Don sees the plane flying out the window, and I'm thinking immediately, I bet Jason over at the Nattercast is going crazy with his D.B. Cooper theory. It's even yeah. worse than I thought, because C.J. Scott wrote in and says, as Don looks out the window, he sees a plane, goes to find Diane Bauer, D.B., gets a visit from Cooper, and is now heading towards the Pacific Northwest. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah, D.B. Cooper, Don Draper. Where's the connection? I'm not seeing it. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot of shit in here, which is... Pointing in a direction. He's jumping out say. of 727 tail in two episodes is all I'm <laughs> Okay, let me give you an alternate take on this. Sure. Ferg, in his, in the first uh, session with Don, where, you know, Hobart's calling him the white whale. Is that what we're calling him now, sessions? Yeah. Well, that, that, was, that was a hump session, yeah. Okay. Um, he, he mentions this being a shirt sleeve operation. A shirt sleeve operation is a term, an aeronautical term, hmm. which is basically saying that the inside of the cockpit uh, is pressurized and enables you, it's it's a self-contained environment that enables you to not have to wear all the shit that they would have to wear when cockpits weren't like Sure, like if you're YouTube pressurized pilot, and you it wasn't freezing, yeah. Goddamn spacesuit on, yeah. Exactly. So when you combine that with like the whistling wind coming through the window hmm. in Don's office, I'm starting to think that this kind of shirt sleeve operation is not what he what he wants. He doesn't want to be isolated hmm. anymore. Um, he sees all these people who are just like it. It's very echo chambery, right? Like all these people with their their same pins flipping the pages at the same times. Don is all looking Coca Cola. He's staring down the barrel of just being a cog in a wheel. Yep. And I don't feel like that is what Don wants. And so that kind of isolation seems to be what they're getting at here with this plane. He's seeing. This plane go by, which is connected with the aviation term, uh-huh, uh-huh. and he's thinking there's something better out there. Let yeah. me go find it. And he's out. He's immediately out of the room. He just walks out. And you can see the exact moment the spell is broken when he overhears the guy tell Teddy, oh, you're here to raise us up a notch, too. Same speech, like, yeah. Fucking Teddy, the, the, the sheep. Is getting to raise the notch knob. Nah, fuck. Oh, there's this guy from Research Dondre. Nah, fuck this. I'm out. And when you combine it with his speeches about, you know, what do you want? What You just want another big client? You just want to be the same as everybody else? No, I want more than that. Yeah. And I feel like that is what Don's journey is about at the end of I still don't know where the hell this is all going, but the themes are definitely... St. Paul, Minnesota is where it's going. (laughs) Uh, They're definitely laying the tracks. I yeah. just can't see where they're going. Okay. Um, I I noticed... So there's a cut, right? There's a cut from Peggy in her office with Ed. Uh, and Ed is wearing this stripy shirt with these bright blue pants. Mm. And we cut to Don walking through the hallway toward the conference room. And there's a some woman walking away from the camera 
who is dressed almost identically to Ed. Like if it were if Ed were female, he would be dressed in it's the exact same like blue skirt, but instead of jeans with like the same pockets and like uh-huh. the same stripy shirt. It's really weird. Does she have like, all the same colors? Long or short hair? Uh, shoulder at least shoulder length. Maybe that's actually Ed. This is a bosom buddy situation. <laughs> He decided to grow his hair out, uh-huh. and, and and he he would have to get extensions. So so he got extensions. Go undercover at uh-huh. McCann Erickson for some reason unknown to report to the New York Mets. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Joan gets a visit from Ferg. That's the spinoff we need. Him and Tom Hanks doing bosom buddies. All right, I like it. At McCann Erickson, we go to Joan and Ferg. Uh, he comes into her office, says, "You know." You're really you're setting up expectations here that you can't you can't do. Uh, Dennis cannot be expected to work for a woman. What would he tell his clients? What do you tell his wife? My God! Why he's got to take some woman seriously at work? How's he going to have the hand that yeah, when he he's gets home? He's got to go home to his kids. What? Ah. Yeah, that's not going to work. Um, and that instead he's going to personally take the hit and take Dennis' place on these accounts. Sure. Um, and then she's she's kind of pleasantly surprised by that, you know. And if Ferg were a decent guy, maybe this would work out. But instead, he invites her to an Atlanta trip. Sure. He invites her to a lunch meeting. And he says he's just looking for a good time. Uh, this, uh, yeah. So wrong. I felt terrible watching this and scene. And then, like, if you, if there wasn't coercive enough, at the end, he gets up. He's like, hey, we can't lose these accounts. What would you do around here without them? That's like, a, threatening her job. It's a total threat. Yeah. And this is, that's the thing. Like, it's, it's, this is a trick. Mm-hmm. Because at what point would Joan be smart to put her foot down and say, this is bullshit, you can't treat me this way? Really, there's no point because she would just get drummed out of the company. But yeah, everything taken in isolation seems perfectly reasonable. Yeah, I'll, uh, you know, I, I, I'll understand you. I'll respect you. We should go on to a trip. We should get to know each other. I just want to yeah. have a good time. I mean, like, that's even that is... It's, you could argue to an HR director is like, oh, she just took what I yeah. said. She's crazy. Yeah, she's, she's new. Of course, I want to get to know my account executive. Joan's like, emotional. You just, you know, you can't. It's that's why it's disgusting and gross. It's and it's that's somehow, why, in my opinion, more disgusting than what Dennis right. did because at least Dennis is overt, and you can see his intentions immediately. And right. I think you see Ferg's intentions right. without a doubt, but he he is more subtle. And he's he's a little smoother about it, even though sure. he's equally as gross. Yeah. I'm not saying there's anything redeeming no, no, no. about that, but he he pulls it off a little bit better than Dennis. That's why it's harsh. Because you imagine Joan trying to complain about this um, to some neutral yeah. party, and she's like, "Well, this guy, he's you know," and says, "Like, well, what exactly did he say? We well, said he wanted to take a trip to Atlanta and get to know me, and, and, and get to know me, and well, those, don't you want your supervisor? I mean, it's I know it's it's, it's more sinister than." than dennis it really sucks to put a human being in this position it really does sure um don shows up at castle francis stein where he is going to pick up sally but she's left you know she's a teenager she's off doing her own thing betty doesn't really even have a say on it anymore (laughs) and instead he and betty start talking about her schooling and he gives her a little back rub and calls her birdie as he walks out the door uh pretty touching a scene here between Betty and Don. I feel like right. Betty has grown so much right. that she, you know, she doesn't see this as an advance. She remembers fondly their time together in certain capacities. Wow. Um, I, I took a, had a totally different take on this. 
I think what Don, do you think is happening? I think Don was going to put a move on Birdie, and she shut really? him down. Yeah, yeah, because they just had wasn't it last season? They just had sex at camp. Yeah, but and, uh, that, and that felt like the finality of it. He's asking when the kids are going to be back, and mm-hmm. although I, Sally is actually in no, I think the, was Sally at the home or not? Because if no, she was, in she the, was not. Okay, yeah, then totally, he was trying to put the moves on her, and she shut him down in a very gentle hmm. way. I also thought it was interesting the the literal Freudian imagery of her reading a book on Freud about the analysis of hysteria, which hysteria being the disease the doctors diagnose women with, which is basically women be crazy and they have vaginas. And, you know, there's like the history of that is like there was doctors that were treating women wildly successfully with vibrators for Mm -hmm. hysteria. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I... I kind of think, again, the wiener had a little bit of troll face knowing a fan's reaction and how much we all hate Betty. And he's essentially holding up a, a mirror and be like, you're part of the problem. No one takes Betty's problem seriously. And she's got some real issues. And I, I just thought this that's one of the genius of this episode. You know, my hate on Betty has come down a lot since the Bobby episode last season. Sure. she She's maturing, man. I like... I I hate to say it because I really love to hate Betty for a very long time, but sure. I think she's she's getting right. No, uh, I'm not. I'm not going <laughs> to jump on that bandwagon with you because I I don't know what I've seen to change your opinion other than that she's interested in psychology. And it's not what we that. have seen; it's what we haven't seen. Right? Like we haven't seen her freak out. We haven't seen her abuse her children. We okay. haven't seen her. You know, the the stuff with Glenn. I guess is one thing we've seen where she kind of had a, a decent approach to it and sure. was nice and was understanding and right i felt like that did a lot to redeem her okay i don't know it's it may be misfounded but my hate for betty has come down a lot okay. since last season <laughs> all right betty hate watch yeah we'll see if they can turn it around by the end make me really hate her <laughs> all right i don't know i i i don't know that we'll see her again yeah this might have been the the final scene with her with don calling her birdie i think that's a fitting in. For but you didn't think at all that Don was at least doing a little exploration of whether she'd be down to clown. You know, I, it, it crossed my mind the first time I saw it. And I guess I was I was trying to look the other direction because I don't want to see that again. No. Um, but but now that you mention it, yeah, maybe maybe there was a little bit of that when he's rubbing her back and she kind of, you know, puts her hand on his hand and so just that's, like, that's like, that's enough. But, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in not so many words. Yeah. So, but, yeah, uh, I can see that. No, I, I, it wasn't just any one thing. It was just everything together uh, making me think that. Uh, can I say that Don is way more smooth than Glenn? <laughs> than who? Than Glenn. Oh, well, sure. Yeah. Like, sure. If, if they don't have all of that... Like, I think if Don had the history with Betty that Glenn has with her, uh-huh. he probably would have made that happen if he wanted to. Let me blow your mind, though. Oh, boy. From what we've seen of Dick Whitman, Dick Whitman was a less better-looking version of Glenn. Of Glenn. <laughs> oh, so God. all Glenn needs to do is go right. to Vietnam. Uh-huh. His Steal commanding officer needs to get blown up in a foxhole. He grabs the dog tags. Ten years later, you got Don Draper Jr. There you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. And who's who's Roger? I think, like, maybe Pete would be Roger. <laughs> no 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 pete's no i don't think pete i because because Ro- Do, uh, although don's the one following in roger's footsteps so maybe don would be roger the, the, and glenn would the come reason back rogers rogers because he's been good looking and rich and coddled his entire life yeah it never occurs to him that he's wrong or anything so it's true that's that's the kind of like 
sunshine blowing up your ass privilege that you can't buy or earn or anything. It just comes natural from a lifetime of validation and affirmation. It doesn't it doesn't feel like anybody else in the show really has that. No, huh? Roger's kind of the only one. He is bulletproof. Nothing he's on he's nothing sticks to him. Like he'll yeah. have he'll have a moment of crisis where he's on a couch and he's crying about doors and all that stuff, but then he blasts his mind with acid and he pounds <laughs> a metric ton of hippie tail and then he's he's back to normal. Wheeling yeah. and dealing, selling companies, playing and, the organ. Indeed. Indeed, drinking vermouth. <laughs> uh, speaking of the office there, Peggy's working late and she spills her coffee and she goes to clean it up and she's like, you know what? No. No, if Eric Rank put out cigarettes on the floor, I'm leaving my coffee. Damn straight, Peggy. It's, you know, it's showing her unbuttoned just a little bit. And she's hilariously bad at homemaking. Why do you say that? Because she tried to boil, make coffee in a mug on a bare burner. Like, I was expecting oh, yeah. the it, ceramic to just shatter and, like, put I her eye out. I or, didn't even notice that. But and yeah. then, yeah, okay. like, I don't think, not only has she not taken a vacation, I don't know if she's turned on a stove since uh, going to SCP. And that's not a sexist thing. No. I feel like every human being should be able to cook a goddamn meal from themselves. And if you can't, you should fix that right now. Go For to sure. YouTube. There's tons of awesome, uh-huh. this is how you make shit that you put in your face, yeah. tutorials that you can bang out in two or three minutes, and then you'll be a more complete human being. So do you think she just, I, she, we've definitely seen her working late, like every single Dude, day. Yeah, no, she Do you is, think she just eats takeout like every single day, it, lunch, dinner, everything? Yes, yes. Yeah. Her her interpersonal skills that are not uh, suitable for work have atrophied like a parasite. Yeah. Like she has lost all of these vestigial organs and she she's yeah outside of this environment she uh is not very fit to survive okay and then we see don driving home but instead he decides i'm gonna leave the state i'm gonna head towards pennsylvania uh I, very short scene there a couple sure. of very short scenes i thought um, he might be heading to the hershey factory at Oh, all right. Yeah. Uh, he just needs a Hershey bar real well, something, bad. Or he's going to mm-hmm. go pay another visit to the whorehouse or whatever. But mm-hmm. that's the first thing I thought. Okay. So Joan and Richard are laying in bed and she starts, I, I think she starts to take out some of her anger on Richard a little bit. You know, sure. he's suggesting a vacation, uh, suggesting places. And she's like, don't tell me where to go. I yeah. Know, I don't want to go anywhere. Um, and so he asks what's wrong and she tells him. And then he suggests that she leave, but she really wants this 500000 that she's entitled to. And he lays out her options. You can either file a lawsuit or you can call a guy, <laughs> which I'm still not sure if he actually knows a guy, but uh, either way it works. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I've, seen, uh, I've seen The Godfather. Mm-hmm. I know that there's some Goomba presence out in the, uh, yeah, the West Coast, West Coast sure. in, in, in Hollywood. That, that, that could be a thing, sure. Yeah. I'd buy that maybe a guy who's, you know, made his mark would have to call a guy a few times. I mean, JFK famously has uh, mob ties. This guy's mm. all, you know. Yeah, he's tied up. Uh, but, yeah, she definitely wants this 500K. We see the crux of the problem really being spelled out here. Sure. You know, she's got money that she needs to get yeah. or wants to get. Yeah. Um, but she's kind of being assaulted on every side. It's not, it's, 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 she earned it. She did. Um, now you can quibble about how like, she earned it and all that stuff, but she she put in the work not not just the the uh, quote unquote prostitution, but she put the sweat equity into this company. Yeah, and has been instrumental to its success low these past five years, and she's she's earned a partnership. So it sounds like they all got half their money up front. 
and they're playing out their contract for the other half? Probably, yeah. Because she definitely got some money at this point because she was entitled to way more than 500000 given her share. We we know she specifically says like Pete says it would be one point five million for me or yeah or or no he owns more than her and it would be one point five million for her mm. so she got a big payout at the beginning yeah but she wants the rest of it and that's the thing she makes sense she doesn't need this money in in the in the like you know she doesn't need it to be financially and independently successful yeah but it's hers and it's not right for bullies to take it from her mm-hmm. I agree. Don's driving, and he's looking pretty tired when Bert Cooper shows up in the passenger seat, and Don tells him, I'm going to Racing, Wisconsin. I'm scared to death, man. Don's, like, you know, looking like he's getting punchy. He's, of course, never never wearing a seatbelt. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, you know, he shows up, and I'm like, oh, is this going to be another car accident type of thing that he happened with? What's that uh, comedian's wife? Bonnie... Uh, I don't remember. I can't remember her name either. No. The Lutz Nuts guy, girl. Um, mm-hmm. Barrett. There it is. Okay. Name is Barrett. Uh, I, I, were you afraid that he was going to run off the road here? Yeah, definitely. Um, especially when Bert shows up. <laughs> Bert is his co-pilot. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't look up this on the road book. I don't, I don't know if you have any information That's on that. That's that famous but... Jack Kerouac Okay, but I have I, I have that, I'm like Bert. I've never read it. I no. wanted to go see, sit down and watch the movie. That the Twilight Girl starred in a while back, and I never got around to it. So I, I bet don't, that's the definitive version. Yeah, yeah, I don't understand the ref. I mean, it's it's kind of I hear it mentioned a lot of like you know Kurt Vonnegut, same breath as Kurt Vonnegut, and it's got a lot hmm. of I guess it's got some kind of fantasy about being on Mars because I read like a disconnected paragraph in a review mm-hmm. uh, that I read this morning. So, but no, I'm not going to pretend like I'm more well read than I am. Okay, so. interesting connection with Mars, huh? Maybe. Bert Cooper is all about space, it seems. Sure, but yeah. He's an astronaut. Apparently so. Anyway, Peggy gets a call from her secretary on the payphone in the lobby at SCNP. Oh, that also is the scene that gives us a clue where we're at in the scheme of uh, time. Not oh. only has Don passed a 30-day window for his house, and he's been in a hotel for some period of time, but they're talking about this is the end of the summer, and it's back to school sales. So you're thinking mm-hmm. we're in the middle of August? We've, we've jumped forward over a month, maybe 45 yeah. days. That was the line from Meredith that really got me thinking, she's got a little bit of an attitude, you know, where she's saying like, oh, I'll get you out of the hellhole that is the plaza. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a fucking awesome hotel. Sure. Don's complaining about being in there, and Meredith is like, you know, I would love to fucking stay there. Mm. You're complaining about the height of luxury? Get out of here. I think she was sincere, because really? that's how she works, yeah. Mm. I don't think... You think I thought she had a little bit of an attitude, yeah. I don't I don't think sarcasm is part of her <laughs> pr- process. She doesn't understand sarcasm. No, she doesn't. Okay. Although then the way she de- maybe that's just the armor she wears. Mm. You know, like Peggy, her early armor was just being like her bangs and her just dowdy look. Uh-huh. And Jones was her sex appeal and maybe Meredith is just I, ding- I wear my armor as a dingbat because you see Jim Hobarth, sta- you know, storming through her office and make all these demands, and she's like, ah! And then as soon as she leaves, yeah. her face falls, and like, there's a little look of intelligence there. Yeah. You know, I don't. Mm-hmm. It may- maybe I've 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 misread her this whole time. Could be. Um. So yeah, on this phone call, uh, Peggy's secretary, I guess Marcia, says that her office is ready. And when Peggy goes back to her office, she hears some spooky music, and she follows it and finds Roger playing an organ. Okay. Yeah. Why not? 
Why not? Roger's sitting alone in the ship playing an organ. Uh, I like it. He's not going to show up to work yet. No, and, and they, there, there's more reminders of like Roger's heart condition. Yeah. Ah, you think the wiener's trolling us again there? I think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think Roger's going to die before the end of the series. Although there is just so much gold in here. Like he's yep. bitching that his bar wasn't considered a personal effect. <laughs> and he searched Don's office and he only found lighter fluid, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> but would you drink vermouth? Yes, I'm afraid I'm I afraid would. I'm afraid I would. <laughs> I love that, man. And also the That's light sexism classic. of him, like, hey, sweetheart, here's some money. Go fetch me a bottle of whatever. I, I didn't Peggy. read that as sexism. I read that as, like, everyone is beneath Roger, right? Like, n- no one has anything more important than me to do here. Just I go get do, it. go get my liquor for but me. But it's like, you know, he, I'm not afraid to say It's, it's more like a, a classist thing. This is the man like who did peasant. blackface, like, five seasons ago. He's got problems. Okay, I, I won't <laughs> deny that. It just, I don't know. And, and the fact that they haven't, like interacted very much mm. if yeah i mean they have interacted a couple times but not in and it was always in the context way. of i'm going to give you a bunch of money for it you was, to run yeah. a menial task for me but to be fair he i think he does he would treat ed the exact same way he oh, would yeah. i don't know yeah. he would call him sweetheart that's where the okay you know yeah. sure i'm with you uh joan then gets some chocolates from ferg and finds a note and crumples it up uh jim goes to don's office to tell him that he's missed a couple of meetings he's not there and this is the scene where meredith covers for him and and looks a little concerned you know she hasn't heard from don either Mm -hmm. and then we see don stopping along the road to pee presumably and these are all just like super short scenes i'm skipping them uh roger assumes him uh amuses himself sorry by giving peggy the octopus porn (laughs) I, i really feel like he now I've given you something. You got to stay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like here's look. Let me show you my hospitality with this octopus porn. Uh, she is not excited about humoring this virtual stranger. You know who just wants to drink and unpack his regrets on her. Are you somewhat amazed they showed a close up of the fisherman, the dream of the fisherman's wife? Why? Because she's naked. It's not. It's not just okay. Fuck you, man. It's not just she's naked. She's got a octopus. It's. Going art. to town on her lady, lady bits. It is quote unquote art. That I think that's why they get away with it. You I know? love it. Like you can show the Venus to Milo. This or thing whatever, was on at but... 10 p.m. at night. I feel like in a television show, may, maybe not you know aerial television, whatever. But you should be able to show whatever the hell you want. Mm-hmm. I'm in. I'm kind of a libertine and all that. I don't give a crap. I was just really surprised HBO of the you're allowed one fucks per season. And they got to be bleeped. Uh, has so far let Mad Men get away? Is is it two or three? It's has our fuck several. count swollen to three now? I think so. Yeah. And I've got I've see a cephalopod giving cunnilingus uh-huh. to a a Japanese woman. Yep. and a hundred fifty year old print in high def. That's that was surprising to me. Okay. In high def, I'm I'm doing my walking impression <laughs> all of a sudden. What the hell? In high def, a lady in high def. Wow. Uh, yeah. So you know she tolerates it momentarily until she gets drunk and then she decides i'm just gonna stick around Mm -hmm. Uh, because you know roger makes a good point right you're gonna roll into work on your first day at 4 p.m drunk yeah not a good impression right Um, but that's the thing like he he did it on purpose he he, yeah like if she had any any time she would say it's appropriate to leave before it's time for him he would have a great way to shut her down he would just pour another and say one for the road yeah sure like just stay a couple minutes longer and then because it sounded like, you know, this is what the one for the road. He had already said one for the road before sure. that. Sure. And also, I think Peggy didn't want to go over to McCann's 
either because she seemed to have a massive attitude about the whole thing and it mm-hmm. didn't take much convincing for her to decide that you know what fuck them you're right yeah she doesn't have any furniture she has yeah. an office but a draft got a table? draft table come on like a draftsman like stan she's a copy manager for god's sake <laughs> yeah so don shows up at the bauer residence and pretends that diana has won a new refrigerator and he gets invited inside by diana's ex-husband's new wife to wait for her husband to get home. Don Draper impersonating yet another another person is, again, another example of wiener troll face, right? Yeah, seems like it. Um, Especially when you put that social security card tucked into the envelope Mm -hmm. at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Uh, So when he's inside, he spies Diana's daughter, who he he talks to. She wants the fridge. Yeah. Uh, Feels like she wants to get something out of her horrible mother, yeah? Yeah, I think it's interesting to see the parallels between Diane and Don. Uh, I mm-hmm. kind of think I I wasn't a big fan of Diane character, but I like the way they're using her now. What's a commentary on Don, his behavior, his yeah. behavior. Yeah. That he's a human tornado causing all this human wreckage and, you know, there. But I mean, imagine if he had gone off with uh, Rachel Minkin, we could see Sally saying something very similar about Don. Like, you know, yeah. Uh, I didn't get anything for my father. I should at least get a refrigerator full of beer. God damn it. Yeah. And it's there, but for the grace of whatever go down, you know, it's, it's extra poignant because he goes to Betty's house and he wants to connect with his children in that moment, but they've moved beyond him. You know, they don't need him anymore. Mm-hmm. Sally's old enough to where she, she's going to go do her own thing yeah. as evidence with they're going out with their friend. Uh, Bobby's off playing sports and living his life. It's like, we don't actually need you, Don. Yeah, and you've been absent for so long that it's not required anymore. That's sad enough and a hard enough a ju- transition process. If you've been a good parent, I imagine it really stings yeah. if you know <laughs> you've got sins to answer for. I would think so. Yeah. Uh, can I just say I like their house, not Castle Francisstein, this craftsman house that they've got going here. Uh, I like the house. I hate the couch. Mm. The couch. It reminds me of my grandparents' couch. Those are some ugly couches, man. Hmm. Hmm. Did you think there, before we move on, I just want to talk about this now. Was there any, were we supposed to understand that maybe Diane got to be a little bit the way she is because her husband, the, the, her ex-husband is kind of a dick? Because uh, on the one hand, he's talking about hmm. like, you know, you got to find Jesus and all this kind of stuff that I imagine if you have just lost your daughter to some random sickness, that that's not the best. I've always thought that was a weird thing that people take comfort that God... You know, need a new flower in his garden or need another angel in his chorus. I'm like, I would hate to be told, even as a believer, I would hate to be told that about a child of mine. Mm-hmm. And then this guy's turning into like, it looks like a Jesus freak. And then he's kind of like a dick to his wife. But then I, someone reminded me that Don had a very similar reaction to Betty when she invited a air conditioner salesman into her house. Did, that's exactly what I was thinking so, this whole scene. It's yeah. like, that's further social commentary that like, we understand it. Like maybe this guy is like, Hey, let me talk and being a dick, but that's mm-hmm. kind of how everyone rolled. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it strikes me as a very fifties mentality, you know, the, sure. the, the propriety of it, of, of inviting a stranger into your home mm-hmm. when your husband is out, was just unacceptable. Yeah, my wife's a dupe. She couldn't possibly know better. She's like a child. It's, yeah. Yeah, that's how they viewed it. It's... Okay. It, it's certainly sexist, um, but it's it's of the time, and I, I was totally thinking about Don uh-huh. in that scene. Okay. His, his interaction with Betty. Anyway, Joan goes to see Jim about the sexism at McCann, Jim Hobart, and he refuses to help. 
And not only does he refuse to help, but he threatens her, and she pushes back with a threat of a lawsuit. And it kind of works, but kind of not. Um, He agrees to give her half of the money that she's entitled to, and Joan says, no, I refuse to negotiate on that. And he kicks her out of his office. Do you realize how tough Joan was being here? Yeah. Like, to go up to this powerful man and to take him on and lock horns with him, and she didn't cry, she... Look straight into his eyes like it's heroic it is uh yeah she puts up a hell of a fight here she sure does and uh, like i said it partially works um i i know it's not everything she wanted like i'm i'm, I'm somewhat dissatisfied that she ends up taking it hmm. um, well i think I, we're supposed to be and yeah, i and, and yeah it's not a done deal yet like i don't think that this is joan's finale you don't think her walking out the door is literally the last time we're going to see her? I don't. But you know what? I would have said the same thing about Sal. Okay. Who I thought yeah. was a very pivotal character in the first early season. And then he's fired and, and boom. Then just... he's gone and making a phone call from a, a, a booth in Central Park. And that's the last. I never thought that we'd never see him again. And now it seems like that's happening. So We only have two episodes left. And, and you've still Don got... kind of gets a goodbye with Joan in this episode. Yeah. So I'm wondering if maybe that's not the last we see of Joan. And really, for two hours of television, there's so much ground they need to cover with Don and Peggy. Yeah. Uh, you don't think this serves as Peggy's finale, do you? Man, that's an iconic way for her to go out, isn't it? It sure is. <laughs> but then you've got two hours of Mad Men that are not going to... Ha- I mean, this has been... Mad Men's arguably been about, if it's been about anything, the story of Don Draper and Peggy has kind of parallel, almost co-starring roles. Yeah. So it'd be weird for her not to be in the final two episodes at all. I think you're right. Um, I, I at least want to see if this adjustment of her attitude holds uh, for for part of one more episode. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, in the finale, they can deal totally with Don. I'm I'm probably okay with that. But another question is, do you think we'll see Roger again? Because Roger kind of has his farewell to SCMP here. Sure, he comes in doesn't he doesn't get set up for anything new, right? I would always accept more Roger. Yeah, oh but yeah, I guess I'm not going to expect it because you're right. This does kind of work as a, it was pretty Roger heavy, mm-hmm. and I think that yeah, sure. And he explained you know how he viewed SCMP and how he kind of viewed himself and his career and uh. I think it would be fitting for this to be the end of Roger. Okay. I, I, I'd i rather not see him die. I'd rather envision a future where Roger, you know, continues to pound hippies for the next 20 years uh, sure. and, you know, smoke crack or whatever he's going to do. Marry Anna Nicole Smith. <laughs> All right. Why not? Uh, yeah. But I think it could be. When he's 90 something. Sure. Yeah. Roger. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that, I don't know. We'll We'll talk about this more at the end with Joan. So, uh, I, 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 fucking Jim Hobart, man. The, a couple of lines in here that just really irked me is when he's talking about, I don't, I don't know how you got your share, your partnership share, your, your stake, your little someone stake. left it to you in a will, your little stake. It means nothing here. And like at the end when he says, I'd rather give it to a lawyer. That's, that's not just, you know, mildly sexist. That's hateful. And it's also just so threatening. Like, you know, you talk, if you make waves here, all the women here love it. Us, you'll be all alone. Yeah. And like, you can't, you can't, you, no one will listen to your story. I mean, that's, 
This is this script is 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 what an uh, abuser or a person in power uses over the week, and it's the same fucking script, regardless of whether it's sexism. It's it's always I'm too powerful. No one will believe. Even if yeah. you told someone, they're not going to believe you, and you're going to be all alone, and it's you're going to be in a worse situation than if you just submit. Yeah, I mean, but these sit-ins at the magazines that she's talking about, sure, are a perfect example of why this guy might be a little delusional. As sure. to his his ultimate power. Now, I did a little bit of digging, and I guess the Ladies' Home Journal was a coup over the fact that it's Ladies' Home Journal, and there wasn't a single woman in any of the upper echelons of management. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, they're... And they, they did this sit-in, and they got... You know, it happened years later that a woman was promoted, but, but during the time, there was like an eight page spread or something with right. all women authors. Yeah, they did like a, they threw him a bone by letting them kind of do like a, yeah. oh, the women are taking over the editorial department. Woo, you know. Yeah, it just seems like a way to, yeah, to yeah. quash the, the problem at the moment. Yeah, but, sure. Uh, anyway, so Cliff gets home, who is the, um, Diana's ex-husband, and Don claims to be a collection agent when his ruse as a Westinghouse guy mm-hmm. fails. And he tells him that... Um, Diana's in New York, and that's all he knows. Yeah. And then Don goes to leave. Cliff follows him out and says, Diana's a train wreck. He should look to God for help, all this sort of stuff. Um, kind of, you know, counseling him on his own life, which I thought was a little audacious. Sure. Uh, but apparently there's been, like, a train of dudes coming to his house. That was the reminding one. Reminding him of this event. That was the one sour note in this episode. Really? You didn't, you didn't there's like been Cliff? T- there's been tons of dudes tracking her down to her house. Mm-hmm. Where I that seemed not right to me. Yeah, to get so invested in a woman so broken that you want to go chase after her doesn't seem like go, a thing and go that to her ex husband's home to do. Yeah, it is. A li- I mean, just Westinghouse every week. His wife thinks she's won a refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, I, like if you, if you, she was a high school sweetheart and you were trying to look her up later and you found that she used to be married, like maybe, and you did, yeah. uh, maybe, but like. Do you think you're the first? I it's like I don't know. Like there's a, a train of I I buy the whole human train wreck, and she just destroys people's lives. And this is commentary on Don too, because mm-hmm. think about you know if you go to the women of Don Draper Tumblr dot com and you look at all those women and you think about how they viewed their experience with Don, how many of them saw that as a positive experience? Um, uh huh. Not, not a lot of them. No, no. I bet a lot of women feel used and thrown away and lied to and yeah. and hurt. Probably so. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it was a great, you know, I, I, I guess the wiener got impatient with people getting to his social, his social message and he was just really making it emphatically in this episode mm-hmm. that, you know, and like I got an email from a person saying she doesn't like us referring to Don as a bad person. And he's not an evil person. But he is a flawed person that is a very I, – I, I believe a guy like this could exist in this time frame. And I don't think we're supposed to lionize him. I don't think we're supposed to demonize him. We're supposed to just look at him and – I don't know. Yeah. I, Ozymandias him. <laughs> okay. I, I don't – yeah. Look I at mean, the ruin of the man. It's of the era. And, and Marvel. And for the era, I suppose, you know, he's no Jim Hobart. He's no Ferg Donnelly. Sure. He's not uh, even a Roger. Yeah, for the most part, he's not even a Roger. Um, but I don't know. Maybe he's an okay guy for the time. By today's modern standards, I think he's got a lot more problems. Sure. <laughs> but anyway, um, Roger is playing the organ 
while Peggy ro- roller skates around the office. Brilliant. Just a quick scene here. Yeah, I like Brilliant. it. Brilliant. Um, and then Don's driving in the dark again. He's just heading off in nowhere. Uh, Roger shows up in Jim's office, and Hobart's complaining about nobody working, not being able to find Don. Uh, I thought this was funny, that there was basically a de facto mutiny here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, is anybody going to do any work around here? Right. And it wasn't even a coordinated thing. It no. was <laughs> just independent chaos. And I love it. The temerity of Jim Hobart saying that you sold me a rotten apple. Uh-huh. Oh, just irony meter off the charts. Yeah. This is a bushel of bad apples, asshole. It it says something that, you know, this the social chameleon of Peter Campbell and the I've given up of Teddy Chaw sure. are the only two guys who are serving any purpose and Harry, in this organization. And the White Castle, oh, yeah. the sack of White Castles that is Harry. <laughs> he is. Yeah, you know, you he can't truly leave him is. out. Uh those are the only guys that are doing anything here. And sure. the rest of the people are too, uh, too. I don't know. Free spirited. Too. Um, just, they're just not on the same page as McCann. They're not a conformist. They don't want to do yeah. things the McCann Eric nonconformist. Way. Sure, that's a good word for it. And uh, Don is the. You know, that's the thing. What are the odds that Don comes back on the sojourn from Racine and to you know parts out west mm-hmm. with the perfect Miller Light ad? If this weren't the end of the series, I would what, say they're really, really high. I mean, right, like, if it wasn't in the series, really I'm thinking, good he's going to talk to this hippie, and he's going to be like, we shouldn't be appealing to the guy on a tractor, because he's not, the guy riding a goddamn lawn tractor likes his dogs because they don't talk back, is not going to drink light beer, you shithead. Yeah. It's going to be some dude like this. I, I, I could just see it happening, but it seems like that's kind of... It's too late. It's too late. That. It wouldn't surprise me, but no, I feel like it's kind of like we're maybe to expect that. Man, that would almost be the saddest ending for Don if he just goes back and has this great pitch and becomes yeah. part of McCann. Although what little fully. I know of Jack Kerouac's On the Road might mean this might just be a literal homage to the setup of that story. You know, take these guys taking a road trip. Um, okay, so I, I I don't know enough to say if that's a connection or not, but I know just enough to know that the that is in the air. So. Yeah, Don Don is very lost at this point, right? He sure. he has like we were talking about in previous episodes. He has no apartment, he has no life, he has no wife, he has no family. Everything has moved past him. Now, can he move past that? You know, he's out there and I feel like he's actively searching for the first time. You know, he's he's always felt dissatisfied, but he's never gone looking like Roger has mm-hmm. with with his LSD trips and all this stuff. Sure. You know, Roger found what makes him happy, I think. Yep. I wonder if Don will Somewhere in St. Paul. <laughs> we'll see. Um, so Peggy strolls into her first day of work with a box of her stuff, some octopus porn, a cigarette, and sunglasses. It's it's an amazing shot. It really is. I just felt like it was a little over the top. Yeah, maybe. A tiny bit. But I, I was kind of cheering a little bit during this scene. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... It, uh, I don't know what do you even call it. It's not a hero's welcome. It's, it's just, just so cool, man. It is cool. It is very cool. It's effortlessly cool. It and is in the way that Roger is effortless. There's a million, cool. a million versions of this in a gift form floating around the internet now. Oh, yeah. Might, might make it the, uh, article image for the okay. podcast. Sounds good. I haven't done that since, uh, the finale of True Blood. So, <laughs> <All> <laughs> it's right. got August Company there and Bald Move, the Bald Move annals. 
Then Joan gets to her office where Roger's waiting to talk about her situation with sure. Jim Hobart, and he advises her to take the 250000 that Hobart offered. She agrees, and she walks out of McCann, says it's a deal. You know, and that's the thing. Like Even her ally is essentially covering for this institutional sexism. This is a very... Like, I'm conflicted. I'm all sorts of conflicted I about know. this scene. I think you're supposed to be. You are. You are. You're supposed to feel like a woman in that position in the 70s. Yeah, I feel... Or s- just a woman in that position, because again... I feel bad for Joan. I feel bad for even Roger in this scene, because, yeah. you know, Roger's talking about this ship and how it was something great and something different, and he just basically sold it out from under everybody. Sure. He did it to save Don, and Joan's paying the price here. And that's... I think that cuts Roger a little bit, you know? It, He's sure. always had a thing for Joan. Don has always been his best friend, so by saving one of them, he sold the other out. That's It's a double-edged sword there. And, you know, it's and as far as Joan and whether she made the right decision or wrong decision, it's it's never a rational decision to stand up to any kind of institutional injustice. It never is. It's always somewhat oh, foolish. Irrational. Okay. It's yeah. always bra- it's always very brave. It's always at a huge personal risk because no. you are bucking the system that's presumed to be correct. And chances are it's going to come down on your heart. The yeah, it's like someone is going to be the one that you're essentially betting that you're going to be the one like that's going to climb out of the pit successfully. Batman Rises style, uh-huh. the Dark Knight Rises style. The first person that tries is probably going to get their body shattered on the rock walls. So it is a it is it is not smart. It's not a rational thing. But thank God there's people that do it, or we wouldn't get anywhere. Like you have to have someone yeah. like 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 Joan willing to risk a half million dollars in 1970s cash to make a run at this mm-hmm. monster. Yeah, I'm like that's another part where I'm conflicted. Do I think that Joan should have taken the money? Uh, I think it's easier for her to take the money. Yes, of course. It's, I don't know. I'm trying to think back, like, to how, to how staunt of, of a person uh, Joan is when it comes to, like, feminism and stuff. Certainly, I think, less than Peggy. She plays to it more. Um, I, I, if this was Peggy... I would be saying she should have fought to the death for this thing. Sure. And I don't know what that says about me, but (laughs) with with Joan, I feel like maybe she made the right decision. You Hmm. know, she... But but I'm very conflicted about it. I mean, that's the thing. I'm I'm very conflicted. Did she make the right decision for herself? Did she make the right decision for her family? That's the thing. I want to see her succeed, right? Did she make the right decision for women everywhere? And is it fucked up that she has got that weight on her shoulders? She made the wrong decision for that. Sure. But ultimately what I want for Joan is I want her to succeed. She succeeds potentially here by taking a portion of the money. Right. She could succeed on the other side. It's a much harder fight, and it's not guaranteed, whereas this money is, and the life that she wants might be flushed away by taking this money. You know, if she's ambitious to the point where she wants to make her career what she wants it to be, this is a step backward. And that's where I feel like it's a failure for her to just take this money and walk. But here's the problem, is that her career, the way I'm reading it, is over. She One had, way or another. Yeah. She had this thing with SCD&P where she was able to work her way in 
and and up this ladder where she goes to another ad agency and they're not going to take her seriously. Her yeah. the other alternative that I think is super exciting is what if you had what is is she a Harris now or is she Holloway? Uh, what if you had like a let's let's go with question. Harris? I think it's I Joe. I think anymore. it's Harris. What if what if she took her two hundred fifty thousand dollars along with the million dollars she already had, mm. and she opens up? She takes Avon as her anchor client and opens up a Harris Olson advertising agency, catering ex- exclusively to women's products. Would they even get along, man? I can't imagine. Like, I think they respect. At the end of the day, my analysis Peggy would is respect they that. respect each other, and that's you don't need to like. I've seen this, and you don't need to like. It's a bonus if you like each other, but as long as you respect each other, it will probably work. I don't, I don't know if they totally respect each other. Like that, that conversation they had in the elevator a couple of episodes ago after the first meeting with McCann. Yeah, uh, Peggy doesn't seem to respect Joan at all. But that's like asking, you know, like they just essentially both got punched in the face and then that's shoved true. in a metal yeah. box. How do you feel about yes? They're Peggy. going. The claws might come out a little bit. Like when people get under stress, they do crazy things. So I don't. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying. Like in okay. balance, I feel like they have. They're very different people that have achieved similar results in a field that's stacked against them, and that is the basis of their respect. Okay, I, they I still probably would critique how the other does their thing, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if Joan is going to go into a lifestyle similar to Richard with him, you know, just be kind of, you know, freewheeling, go around, travel, do your thing. Well, that's the thing. Whatever. I, that's that's the danger I feel in the last podcast is will their relationship work when they're no longer equals? Okay. Because it felt like that the part of the attraction and the way that worked is that they were they both had their own agenda. They both have. Yeah. If she, if he's retired and he's got his four, I guess, I guess she could retire too. Sure. But and then they. He doesn't kind of, seem to be. That's the thing. Quite for retired. A re, for though. a retired guy, he's doing an awful lot of stuff. He is. He's in the office. He's making phone calls. Yeah. So I don't. I I just wonder if uh, you know, and certainly when she starts complaining or when she, whatever her his first instinct was, well, I need to take you a trip or I need to sweep off feet. I don't know that's what well, – I know it's not what Joan wants because she said as much. So yeah. there is a little bit of a problem with that might screw up her happy ending with Richard if losing this job, especially if she, you know, is she going to lose his respect if she kind of rolls over, quote unquote, rolls over and, and takes this deal instead of fighting? Yeah. Would he admire her more if she got a guy? I don't yeah, know. One of the suggestions was not to uh, take the money and run. Right. From no. from Richard. No, it's it's interesting, I, I suppose... and, and and it's also interesting just from a what does Joan think of this? Because I got I yeah. I feel like a lot of this has got to be flying around in her mind too. Definitely, I, I suppose it's not impossible that Joan takes this buyout and then goes and starts her own agency, takes Avon, takes uh, the shoe company. No, takes... I think that would be cool. I think that'd be cool because. Yeah, I don't know. You got the Peggy as a McCann Erickson potential executive, but you also got... Yeah, I don't think Peggy's going with her. But... This Peggy blowing in there and getting summarily dismissed the next episode. And then <laughs> No smoking in the office, Peggy. Yeah. You're out. Yeah. Anyway, Don's still driving in the morning, and he picks up a hitchhiker who is headed to St. Paul. It's a very short scene there. He, he seems to be headed nowhere. You know, he's just going where the breeze takes him at this point. And... Then they start into ground control to Major Tom, yes. and they came in 
at the end of the bridge where there's that, that, that particular section of string, it's all like minor notes and it's almost like a thriller or a horror theme, hmm. okay. which I thought was the final troll face moment because there's people like, Oh, Don's going to get murdered by He's the hobo. killer. Yeah. And he puts that in right before it gets into, you know, the, the, the chorus of, or whatever the hell you call Space that. Oddity, yeah. Um, yeah, sure. it's, 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 it's a, it's a nice touch and it ties in the scary music from the organ mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah, there's uh so that's the end of the episode. There I guess we could play the name game a little bit. I think Don has definitely lost the horizon at this point. Uh he's just kind of trying to he's struggling to find it. Um there's also a a film made in 1937 based off a book made in 1933 which was referenced in the last season as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, um at Don the very was, beginning of this season, I think, yeah. I'm sorry, this fucking or, well, last okay. half season. Yes, the the premiere of, like, 701. How yeah, about yeah, that? yeah. And, and it was Don, Don was watching television and we're seeing this. Yeah, yeah he's I watching have a take this movie. on this. What's yours? Okay, um, so the movie is basically about a guy who is going, um, he, he's on a last-ditch effort to rescue some, some Westerners, and he heads out to do that um, from some city in China. And his plane gets hijacked, it runs out of fuel and crashes, mm. and then they are taken to this place called Shangri-La. Sure. Um, which is, you know, a an oasis inside this cold, barren area. Mm-hmm. And um, over the course of it, they are, they're trying to get out. Several of them want to stay. Um, they, they find this great place. And I, I think you can, you can compare, you know, Shangri-La to McCann Erickson for some people. And I think for probably all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they all have different views on how well it's going in Shangri-La. Um, certainly, you know, Joan and Don are the people who want to leave here. Mm-hmm. Um, Don could be the main character who's Robert Conway. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just wants to get out. Um, I, I don't know. What's what's your take on it? There, so, there are a lot of parallels. So that's that's the McCain Erickson of Shangri-La. Sure. And that's certainly a valid take. I like the fact that as because the other part of that novel, again, I haven't read it, but I've read the synopsis now twice, once last season to try to figure out what the fuck it's talking about. <laughs> uh-huh. And now this season. Yeah. Um, one of the parts is that these people that live in Shangri-La don't age and they're kind of eternally young, but as soon as mm-hmm. they leave the valley, they rapidly wither and die. SC and P is Shangri-La. Compared to uh, the horrors, because uh, this also is, it, it was, uh, I believe this is set against World War One, wasn't it? Uh, it's or maybe it was 35, so it was some war, World War II ish. But, but, you know, Shangri La is this haven from this terrible, evil outside world. Yeah. And you see these people that have thrived that SCNP leave the company and they immediately wither. You look at. You know, look at look at Roger. He's he's eight, he's be turned into an old man. Look at uh, Joan. She leaves and she's instantly destroyed by the harsh, cruel realities of McCann Erickson. Look okay. at Don. Uh, he he leaves that and he starts. You know, uh, abandon. You know, I I feel like there's a little bit of that too. Where SCNP is the paradise that they were cast out of, and now, yeah, that goes along with Roger's boat analogy. Yeah. You know, this is the place where he felt comfortable. This yeah. is the thing that he built, and to see it disappear is a bad thing for him, certainly. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I haven't read the book. I haven't seen the movie, so I'm not sure exactly how those how that all goes, but I'm sure people will tell us. Why don't we get to some feedback? Sure. First up is Michelle T., and first I want to apologize that we are recording a day early, mm-hmm. so we're going to be probably light on email, but I'll hopefully make up with a maybe heavier one next week. Okay. Um, but anyway... 
Michelle T said, regarding the Mad Men episode Time and Life, I wanted to weigh in a little more with a little more information about the draw man test that Tammy Campbell had to do. Uh, it's the good enough draw man test. It was originally conceived as a measure of intelligence, but has also been related to measures of sensory defect, visual motor coordination, neurological dysfunction, personality, and school readiness. The present study conceived of a draw man as a nonspecific index of psychological functioning rather than as an IQ test. And deficient performance was interpreted as a sign of possible developmental disorder as defined by other means. And she also has a whole lot of other information. I guess now it's not draw a man, it's draw a person. And you're asked to draw a man, woman, and a child. So it's not, you know, uh, it's it's slightly less sexist. Anyway, she continues, this all makes me wonder, is Tammy growing up with a learning disability and or a mental or physical challenge? It's a sad and fairly dark road for the wiener to go down in terms of any sort of storyline for her, but it'd be totally like him to show something so real that so many families go through. Also, since you and Jim were pontificating on the possibility of a Pete and Trudy reunion, or at least a chance of Pete playing a larger part in Trudy and Tammy's lives, Mm -hmm. this would be a way to bring them closer to them and bring them closer together as a family. It might also be the thing that forces Pete to man up a little more. What do you think? With two episodes to go, could this be something that Pete and Judy bond over? Uh, or, I, don't, sorry, I don't know who Judy is, but uh, yeah, I I viewed it more as you know Pete has been an absent father. Mm. Um, Although after last episode, I, but I, I suppose I, if we were going to continue with more episodes, I'd like to uh, call Pete Punch and Trudy Judy. Punch and Judy, yeah, okay. Sure. He gets punched. He throws punches. All of the above. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's possible. Sure. I, I think that would definitely draw them together a little bit more. I don't... I, I think Pete does care about his daughter. He just... That, eh, fuck, he doesn't show it. I think it's just as likely that they would drive them for... Like, he'd be like, oh, you know... I want no part of that. Yeah, I'm out. Yeah, he's going to Don Draper it. Oof. That's... Okay. You're giving... Not giving Pete any credit, man. No, I'm not. None whatsoever. Gretchen asked, after hearing the email referring to the episode where Don and Roger has talked about contracts, I had a few other thoughts. In season three, the episode titled 723, Conrad Hilton begins to do business with Don. Hilton's lawyers required that Don have a signed contract with Sterling Cooper. At the end of the episode, when Don still hasn't signed, he meets with Bert, who says, after all, when it comes down to it, who's really signing this contract anyway? (laughs) Bert Cooper learned the truth about Don's identity from Pete Campbell in the previous episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Is it possible that Don could terminate his contract with McCann by revealing his true identity? Draper signed a contract, not Dick Whitman. Could this be the death of Draper and the return of Dick? I have no fucking clue how that works out legally. I feel like Don could terminate his contract at any moment. He just doesn't get his payout. Sure. He doesn't get the money. And he also can't work in advertising for a four-year period. Because the other thing is, yes, potentially he could get out of the contract, but also now he's committed fraud. Yes. Which is a criminal charge. Not not ideal. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that is the only problem I see with that theory. But it's... And if he did break his contract, if if the white whale got off the hook once again, Mm -hmm. I think McCann Erickson would go after him. I agree. Like if he said, hey guys, this is not my real name. I stole this name from some guy in the war. Sure. They'd go after him. I think so. But I just also... They're vindictive. I also think that Don could do that and... Yeah, I mean, something I don't know, man. Like you think about how Sopranos ended, and I could just see the Wiener doing something where he ends it on something that the fan base can just argue about forever. 
Just did Don get off scot free? Did McCann just Erickson fade to black? Did McCann Erickson, you know, pursue him through the ends of the earth? Like, you know, what exactly happened? You, what did you we just, just see? You see, you is you see his face go like ghost white. And his eyes bulge, and he just follows a figure across the room, and then fade to black. <laughs> you yep. never, you never see that point of view. Uh, Andrew in Kazakhstan said, "Ever since I started teaching overseas, it's been a great to get a taste of home with quality television and your entertaining podcast." Well, thank you, yeah. Andrew. Yeah, I find that while watching, I was a- unable to do the suckectomy because it would have left a fragment sentence, and I wanted to get mm. the whole, yeah, you know. Being you wanted to feel like Don with there McCann. You go. Come on, there you go. I, I, I want my heroic zoom shot. <laughs> I'm Aaron Hubbard of baldmove.com. Uh, I find that watching each episode of Mad Men this season, I thoroughly enjoy the show, but after watching it and remembering that this is the final season, I judge it much more harshly. Hmm. My question is, are we viewing these shows differently and perhaps unfairly because we know that this is the final season? I, for example, don't mind seeing Don and others falling into the same holes as they have in previous season. They now know their way out, and it's interesting seeing them realize the traps they constantly set themselves up for. I think we are judging them, though, through the lens of this being the final season and some kind of resolution being required, however, and that doesn't give them a fair shake versus other seasons. How would we see this season differently if we knew that there was going to be yet another one? I know I, for one, would enjoy it more instead of seeing every episode as another hour-long goodbye. That is a question we've struggled a lot with in the last few years of, of bald move, as we said goodbye to many shows and mm-hmm. we've liked some and we've not liked others. What do you think? Do you think some of the bitching and moaning about mad men and going in circles is magnified by this being the final season? Certainly. I mean, if you look at justified, we were constantly bringing up the question, how are they going to tie this up? Like they've, they've set a path where we don't see the end. Um, it's it's a scary thing for audiences, certainly. Uh, it's, you know, they never want to see their favorite shows end, sure. myself included. And the last thing you want is something to happen so cataclysmic that you feel like you wasted X amount of hours of your life watching this television show. Yeah, or something to, ha- to even happen so unclimactically that, you know, it just kind of fades away. Like, sure. like specifically, I'm talking about Mad Men here. Like, if we were to just see Don repeat his past mistakes to the bitter end... yeah. I mean, in some ways, that's fitting to the story of Mad Men, if, if that's where he wants to take it. Yeah. In other ways, that's deeply dissatisfying to an audience. Sure. Who wants to see real change and growth from their the hero, whatever. And also, people are attached them. to the shows. Like, it's the difference between being married for 50 years to someone, and they die, and you're sad, but you still have all these great memories, and eventually, yeah, you're sad that it's over, but you can reflect about all the good times you had, versus them leaving you taking all your money, setting the house on fire, and shooting your dog. That makes everything, it, the, all the good times just turn to ash in your mouth. And yeah. I think that's the big fear. It's not not so much the wasted time, but just like, if this, like, watching Breaking Bad is really, really great because you can relax and like, oh, this is great, and I realize it's great, and now I know it's great to come, and it always is great, and this is a great experience. <laughs> Whereas if Mad Men's the last three episodes turn out to be turds, watch. I, I feel like going back and watching season one is going to be a lesser experience. I don't even mm. know that I would. Like, I haven't gone back yeah. and rewatched old X-Files because it was terrible at the end. Yeah, that's a show that petered out. Man. You haven't gone back and revisited Lost because the, yep. the, the ending was terrible. It does have the capacity to take something you're passionate 
fan of and 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 kind of ruin it. It does, yeah. If if they don't end a series on on a satisfying note on some level, you just yeah. I mean, my it, God, it taints the reputation of the whole series. It's, I've never loved anything like I've loved Star Wars in my whole life, and that got just. I mean, it's 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 not even an ember of the fire it used to burn in my heart, and it's yeah. because the last thing I saw was total shit. Well, I mean, to to get a little more to his point, like yes, I do judge the final season more harshly because I'm looking for the way out. Yeah. I'm looking for the exit saying, how am I going to get over there yep. by the end of this thing? You know? Yep. And I, I don't think that for me, I don't think that's like when, when I'm at, you know, a play or a symphony or something, I'm yeah. like, Oh man, all these people are going to go out to their parking lot at the uh-huh. end of this thing. I got to uh-huh. go over there. So I'm not paying as much attention to what's going on, you know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. not enjoying it quite as much as I could be. Yeah. And to me, I don't think it's as much me worried about where it's going as it being worth the destination. I don't want something so bad that it makes me feel stupid for liking the show. That would be a shame. Yeah, sure. sure and sure. I don't see that coming. But yeah, you never do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tara P said, just want to send you this link again. It's an updated through season seven, episode 11. What she's sending me is a Spotify link. And she sent this I think the last two years, and she's collected every song that's ever appeared on Mad Men in chronological order. It's cool. And you can subscribe to it. If you're a Spotify user, it's free. And uh, I will link. It's it's a big, long, scary URL with a bunch of random letters and characters. Um, but she's done a great curation. I've actually put, turned this on several times when I want to get into the Mad Men theme. It's kind of good for dinner dinner parties, too. All right. And sure. just want some jazzy music on the background, some yeah. cool music. Uh, until the fucking Beatles come on <laughs> <laughs> with their uh, head in the cloud shit. It's like, whoa, whoa, uh, skip. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post this link in the show notes uh, that you can get on baldmove.com and mm-hmm. probably in your podcast player. Hell, I don't know. Um, but thanks. It's it's a labor of love you've uh, undertaken there, Tara, and I appreciate your generosity in sharing it with us all. We also had, and I'm not going to mention anybody's names because I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'm not at this point, but uh, we talked about Pete and raping the au pair, and we had a couple people write in and ask us to defend that opinion. So I'm like, you know what? I haven't seen that scene for five years. I'm going to go watch. I've got Netflix. I'm going to go watch watch this episode and see what I really think about it. What's the verdict? Well, so let's just talk the facts. The facts are this poor German girl is outside the, his apartment and she's crying. She's trying to send this dress in a garbage chute because she is a au pair, which I guess is a nanny. Uh, she speaks broken English. And uh, she's afraid their family is going to send her home, which would be a, a bad situation for her because she's borrowed one of the wife's fancy cocktail dresses to go to a party and she spilt wine on it. And Pete says, hey, it's not all that bad. Let me see if I can help you with this. He takes the dress. He comes back later with a new dress he's bought from that store and says, hey, look, I saved the day. And she's very appreciative to him. And she says, thank you. You've really saved the day. And he's like, hey, I thought maybe we could celebrate with a drink. And her face kind of falls, and she says, oh, Mr. Peter, I have a boyfriend. And he says, oh, okay, well, good night then. He then goes and starts power drinking on his balcony. Yep. Comes back in the middle of the night, knocks on her door. She answers in a robe, and she he says, hey, I went to a lot of effort to get this dress for you. And I least you can do is model it for me. And you can clearly says that she's worried because the kids are asleep and it's late at night. And she says, you can come in, but you got to be very quiet. He then takes her to the bedroom 
uh, and he kisses her. And this is again after she already turned him down. And then later his neighbor comes and says, yo, my au pair has been crying for the last few days. Mm-hmm. And it's not a big deal because, you know, everybody has sex with nannies. It's not a big deal. Just stop having sex with mine because it would really inconvenience me if this girl. If she were to quit. If it was yeah. to quit because she gets along with my wife and it's like, I, you know, it's like this all buddy-buddy thing. Mm-hmm. And then we see an awkward exchange between when she has to come in with the kids with the elevator and Pete. Did Pete rape the au pair? Sounds pretty rapey to me. I got to say. Did he rape her in the legal sense of the word? I don't know. I can't say that. Uh, hmm. I'm just saying that I feel like this is the type of situation that a dude would get in today. And if she did go to the police and say that he raped her, he would go on to Reddit and say what a bitch she was and how women are evil schemer and it's a false rape report and all this. My opinion is, yes, Pete did rape the au pair. She said she didn't want to have sex with him. He tried to get her drunk. She refused. He came back in the middle of the night Knowing, and that's the other thing, is like, just like Joan knew the situation she was in, like, it'd be a shame if anything happened to her accounts. It'd be a shame if your people found out that you ruined their dress and you had to go home. He had this situation yeah, of power and, you, and he used mm-hmm. it against her. Yeah, I mean, with the kids being asleep and everything. She like, didn't have to beat on his chest and say, no, 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 for that to be a rape because she yeah. did not give her consent. Sure, and and she was shattered the by day, the experience. Yeah, exactly. So it was clearly not something she wanted to do. The interesting thing is this fault line between the people who see that and be like, "Oh, well, that's scummy," but it's not rape, and the people like, "No, no, that's rape," and quote unquote normal people can rape people. That is exactly the fault line that we find ourselves in today in 2015. Sure. So, um, I mean, I can't, like I said, I can't answer that question for you. And I'm not saying that I'm not going to say you're a rape apologist. If you say, Oh, that's not a rape or not. I'm just saying like, think about it and think about the situation Jones in and think about if you were in that position, you know, how would you feel? And coercive power dynamics in relationships can be just as brutal and just as psychologically damaging uh, there's been study after study showing this as a violent, quote-unquote, violent, quote-unquote, real rape. Mm-hmm. So that's all I got to say. Yes, I've seen the scenes, and it's very uncomfortable, and I am very comfortable saying that Pete Campbell is a rapist. Yeah, I'm with you. That is also not the same thing as saying that he is a terrible, atrocious, evil human being. They're not rapists in the sense that they like got facial tattoos and scars and they're creepy individuals. Okay. So... Pete Campbell can be a rapist, and he can also be the guy next door. Boom. There you go. Moving on. GNR. Uh, Guns and Roses? No. GNR? GNR. Uh, she wants to defend Don Draper a little bit. She says, I'm tired of hearing about what a horrible person Don Draper is and how he must make amends and change to be quote-unquote saved. Yes, he's flawed, but who isn't? He's unequivocally the most admirable character on Mad Men, and the evidence abounds. That may well be not a ringing endorsement. To be the best person on Mad Men. <laughs> okay, that's fair, and I also don't know that I agree with that. All right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll consider her arguments. Okay. One, he never holds a grudge and is never vengeful. The only time he seeks retribution is after Roger invites himself to dinner at Don and Betty's house in season one, and Roger overtly flirts with Betty. The next day, Don ro- feeds Roger martinis and oysters, then arranges to have him walk several flights of stairs, inducing him to vomit before an important meeting. Don would never flirt <laughs> with awesome. a friend's wife in his presence. 
No, okay. he will fuck I... a neighbor's wife behind his back. Uh-huh. This is not a super compelling defense of Don Draper. No, I agree. If I were to pick a like the best person on Mad Men, it's got to be Ken, right? Mm. Ken's the best person. Yeah, he's a little vengeful when he gets the opportunity, but he's that's well deserved. Let's continue. Okay, he's a magne- He's magnanimous in his divorces with Betty and Megan, going as far as letting Betty's new lover move into his house and take his place, despite the obvious pain this causes him. He writes Megan a check for a million dollars, lets her steal all his furniture, and she still pouts. They both spew venom and hatred and blame him for everything, but he never utters an unkind word. They are not victims. They knowingly hitch their wagons to a man who is handsome, a charming alpha male, and the spoils that such a man promises. They choose to ignore the red flags to enjoy the benefits of his income, but we are supposed to see them as these powerless, exploited victims of Don Draper. I think that's a mostly fair categorization. The only thing I think is like... You can only say that they are spewing venom to him and he is not uttering an unkind word with the context of he systematically lied to them and cheated on them behind their backs. And it's not like he offered them the deal. He didn't go to Megan and be like, hey, if you are my wife, you can have my money and my awesome apartment and I'm going to sleep with a bunch of people behind your back. Yeah. And he didn't go in. Certainly didn't go. Not part of the vows. So it's like. Yes, he did that because he felt guilty for doing the things to him for years and years and years that he did, you know? Sure, and I mean, you know, Megan and Betty can't be blamed for not knowing the kind of person that Don is up front because Don doesn't ever show that exactly. until it's too late. And that's the thing. Like, that's I'm that's not where saying, the lying comes in. I'm not saying Betty know? and Megan are good people either. I'm just saying that there's a. it's not like they just came up with this, be- this bile and hatred from nowhere. Uh, Point to three, he never discards a woman he establishes a relationship with. Think about it. They always reject him, usually because of his desperate need to be loved unconditionally, something he has never known. The exception of is Dr. Faye, also that secretary he fucked that one time and then felt regret about it. Also, all the other women he's had. You know, it's like... I mean, I... Yeah, I I don't know about that. and, and, And yeah, he didn't break up with Megan... But he, there was a point in time where he consciously checked out of the relationship. I don't think you get points for that. No, you don't. Especially, I mean, he's the driving force behind those relationships falling apart. I, I, I think the women, if if Don was who he said he was when he presented himself um, to them, especially Megan. What the hell did Megan do to deserve? If such, I, I can use such an absurd concept of deserving the betrayal that she got. She yeah, did nothing. She did nothing but try to make him happy. Mm-hmm. And her whole sin was that she wasn't the that she wanted ideal, to be happy too. The ideal <laughs> image that that he had for her. Yeah, you know, and he wasn't willing to support her change and growth as a person. But no woman has ever been for Don, right? Sure. Don has an idealized woman that doesn't exist. Uh, and you know, he's he's the one bringing down those relationships with his cheating and right. his neglect and just all sorts of things. Uh, he repeatedly exhibits extreme acts of charity above and beyond other characters. The best example of this is when he gives his job to California to Ted. Sure. That's a nice thing to do. And again, although you, know, you got to wonder how much of that was not wanting to be with Megan. <laughs> well, also that was Don realizing his marriage was already destroyed. And this is yeah. a man who is kind of on the rocks and is trying not to do the thing that Don just did again. 
Yes, Don. I'm not saying Don's a not a thing. generous, charitable yeah. person, but mm-hmm. also he does a lot of ger- charity out of the realization that he's a shit. Okay, for feeling guilty exactly. uh, about the stuff that he has done. Um, he's humble despite his outward arrogance in season five when they humiliate them with their list of demeaning conditions for his return to the agency. He doesn't blink an eye or plot his revenge. He just accepts it and does his job. This makes him a much better man than most of us are. I don't know. I mean, you give the Hershey speech and you become a pariah in the ad world, then you gotta be, you, 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 you have to be humbled to get back, right? I guess so. And he was plotting his revenge. He goes in there with Lucky Strike and... Sure. Uh... Which is the Don tries like to most. take that yes. meeting over. Yeah, I don't know. I like. I don't think Don is the worst character. I don't think he's the best character. Right, and that's that's the thing. Like, I'm there's this this email is like twice as long with a lot more points. But the thing is, I don't. Don's not a monster. Mm-hmm. He's not a saint. He's a complicated person that has done a lot of terrible things to people that didn't deserve it, and he's had a lot of terrible things that d- done to him, and he didn't deserve it. And it's a fascinating yeah. thing to watch. But it's like, you know, it's fine to go to your mattresses and like, you know, just like there's people down to the last dying day that were Walter White supporters. There are those people for Don Draper. Mm-hmm. I like to see I, I like to see the grays. I like to see the complexities. I do, too. And I think it's fitting for him to have nothing at the end of this. You know, uh, if if he can understand that, like, I, I think that's where he's at now. And right? at the very like, least, you got to say that he has put his own needs and his own selfishness above his children. Certainly, yeah. And, like, you know, she one of her points was no one criticizes Einstein for neglecting his children and wife to do his research. Bullshit. People do all the time. Because that was an aspect of Einstein that was kind of terrible. Okay. Like, I can't remember if it was Einstein or it was Hawking that had essentially a slave contract with his wife. Um, And you just read this and, like, Jesus Christ, what kind of huh. next level... Uh, spectrum bullshit is this that you think you can you can have a human being agree to this, but you can be a brilliant theoretical astrophysicist and also kind of terrible as a social human being. Sure, that dichotomy. You can be the best sports star in the world and you can punch your wife and or you can rape a person in a hotel room in Denver. P- that happens, man. Yeah, people are complex. Let's move on. David G. I enjoyed your discussions in the past few shows about the privilege of attractiveness, particularly as it applies to women. Are there any related reading recommendations you have? I may have missed it if you did during the show. I like to invite our guests. We have thousands and thousands of really smart people, a lot of intelligent women that I'm sure are more well-read this uh, than me. If you'd like to send me some articles about that, I will pass them on the next podcast. How about that? Um... Moving on to Michelle S. In episode 10, the forecast, you stated that Roger's comment... I'm sorry, this is Michael S. In episode 10, the forecast, you stated in Roger's comment, you know I could have had you killed for drinking anything but a Coke around here. Had something to do with Don drinking alcohol from what looked like a beer bottle. Although I couldn't make out the label, I believe Don was drinking a soft drink from Coca-Cola, a Coca-Cola competitor. Roger's making a joke based on the fact that Coca-Cola was a client of McCann Erickson. Okay. This makes, I think we talked about then, this off air, but that yeah, makes a lot more sense. Definitely. The him still being laboring under the uh, Cutler rules. Yeah. In episode 11, Time in Life, you suggested that McCann Erickson change their mind as to what to do with SC and P. I proposed that McCann Erickson never had an interest in pur- purchasing SC and P, but did so only as a strategic move to secure the relationship with Buick. If you recall in episode 7, Waterloo, Roger met with Jim Hobart at a restaurant to propose the acquisition of SCNP, pulling out key parts of that conversation, the following was said, Roger, 
I just want to know if Buick has left you yet. Jim, why would they do that? Roger, because they built a relationship with GM and our Chevy account man just moved there. Jim, we want the whole Chevy team. You, Don, Jim, and Ted. Roger, I think you should buy the whole company. Jim says, but this is still all about Buick. His hypothesis is Jim Hobarth is only interested in one thing, moving, removing a threat of losing Buick as a client. Roger leveraged that knowledge to force Jim Hobarth into buying the whole company. Jumping forward several months to present day, the acquisition of SCNP removed the threat of Buick leaving McCann Erickson. So SCNP was no longer needed and McCann and Erickson dissolved the company. During episode 11, or this is actually episode 12, Lost Horizon, McCann, Erickson, Borderline's negligent handling of Jones' client list and threatening converted staff like Chattel further illustrates the point. Roger thought he was being business savvy when he cut the deal to sell SC&P, but in reality, he was being played by Jim Hobart from the start. I think there's another instrument, uh, another angle there that Jim wanted Don to collect, yeah. essentially. I mean, you don't talk about your white whale... Unless that's a major factor. But the more you think about this, the more the Waterloo was a debacle. And it was very aptly named. This is what brought down Napoleon. This is what yeah. brought down the great SCNP. Mm-hmm. Roger's short-sightedness. I mean, Burt Cooper's alive. Does he make that deal? Uh... Which way would Bert have voted? I think Bert's strategy was to continue to fight Cutler on on even footing and to win the culture war between the company. I don't think he would have yeah. thrown a Hail Mary to sell out to McCann Erickson just to keep, certainly to keep Don alive because Bert was sure. pretty much over Don at the end. He was, but, you know, he's loyal. Um, and, and above all, he's loyal. Sure. Uh, so... Yeah, I think if Bert had stayed alive, that deal never gets made because it's Roger doesn't need to go find that deal because Don's not in jeopardy. You know, they had the votes until Bert died. Um, yeah. Uh, moving on to Adam X six thousand. He's wrote a little bit of fan fiction here. This oh, is his. Boy. This is his perfect end to Mad Men, and this okay. is the final email of the episode. Mm-hmm. At a New Year's Eve party in December 31st, 1970, that Don and all the main cast attend, that Don watches the party in slow motion as he's watching the end of an era. Then comes the countdown of the clock to midnight, 10, 9, 8, 7, etc. Suddenly, an extreme jump cut with the sound of a click from a handheld tape recorder. Around 30 years have gone by. Don and Ken Cosgrove are having a morning breakfast at a restaurant with a tall, rectangular windows. Ken says, I think that's all I need. Don says, do you have a name for your book yet? Ken says, I think I will call it Mad Men, Tales of the World of Advertising in its Golden Age, says Ken. Don says, good luck to your book, and they shake hands, and Ken leaves the table. Don looks at his watch. It's 9.11 a.m. At the table, Don accidentally spills his Bloody Mary drink off the table. He looks down at the mess, but only the broken glass is on the floor, and no Bloody Mary juice is in sight. Just like the wine glass at the end of the movie, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Don gets out of the table and walks over to one of the tall glass windows at the restaurant. It's going to be terrible that I'm laughing once you find out what this is, he starts to pull out a cigarette and light it. Immediately, a waitress comes over to him and says, what are you doing? Don says, excuse me, there's no smoke in this restaurant. Don looks perplexed, then says, yes, of course, sorry, pulls out the cigarette. As the waitress walks away to Don, the waitress seems vaguely familiar. The waitress is the same waitress, Diana, that Don had an affair with 30 years ago. Only unlike Don, she hasn't aged at all. Don stares at the window in a long gaze. The camera's now outside looking at Don from the inside. Only as the camera pulls back do we realize where Don is at the windows on the World Restaurant at the World uh, Building 1 World Trade Center 
Quick Fade to Black, title, executive producer, Matthew Weiner. Last song played is Tomorrow Never Knows by the Beatles. Don's having lunch with wow. Ken the morning of the 9-11 attacks, essentially. I think, is what he's suggesting here. Okay. That's wild. <laughs> <laughs> you know? The Fade to Black's pretty ominous in that situation. It is. It is totally ominous. I d- I'm not sure if that's how it's going to play out, but uh, yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah. Well, you know what? We're a little late. I off. can't think of anything better. I'm, please, please consider before sending me more fan fiction because I'm not going to read it every week, but we're a little light this week. So I thought, why not? Let's have fun. Okay. Good Let's stuff. have fun commemorating the 9-11 tax through the lens of Matt. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Great fun. Great, great fun. Oh, God. Get me out of here, Jim. I'm <laughs> That's just it, digging man. myself into a hole. That's it for feedback. That's it for the recap. We'll have a lot more feedback next week. Uh, Madmen at baldmove.com. You can also discuss this with us on the forums at forums.baldmove.com. And uh, keep along or follow along our release schedule on facebook.com slash baldmove and on Twitter at baldmove because the second we post the stuff, it goes out to the intertubes through those conduits. Yeah, I thought it did. Our our auto tweeter didn't work for Game of Thrones last God night. God damn it. What the fuck? Uh, I don't know. You just probably. made me a liar. Or probably. I guess a f- malfunctioning plug-in made me a liar. Yeah, it did. Uh, anyway. Integrity for- integrity is not what it used to be. It can be brought down by an th- unthinking machine. It can. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Would it help if I cut my nipple off? <laughs> That, that well, it can't hurt. It can't, <laughs> it can't hurt. I think it could. You, maybe. I think it could. Anyway, thanks for listening. We will, of course, be back next week on Tuesday. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See ya. Mm-hmm.